knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth is quality clothing and packs at a price that you deserve. I got to say, I'm really excited about working with Huntworth this year. Uh, Been on the phone with them. Uh, They got some stuff in the mail uh, for us, talking to them about what we're doing for our turkey giveaway. And uh, as you guys know, if you listened to the last one, I got some of their stuff from uh, doing a photo shoot. And they said you can keep the clothes. And uh, one of the things that they're giving away, I'll get into it with the uh, Patreon giveaway, but is the the Shelton hoodie. And so it's a grid fleece hoodie with a built-in face mask. Super warm, super soft. Um, Real excited. That's probably one of my favorite pieces that I've got. But uh, this is, I mean, before we started working with them or anything, um, I was telling people about, the Huntworth stuff that I got. It's stuff that I would buy that I would have bought. I mean, I was really, I wanted to get my hands on some of it before, um, you know, I, I had questions about it and, you know, we'd used a bunch of different other camels and stuff like that, but super excited, super excited to have them uh, as part of, uh, the show and, uh, going to be a great thing going forward. So you can check them out at huntworthgear.com. And this episode Brandon McDonald. So if you haven't checked out Brandon McDonald, Brandon McDonald Archery on Instagram, uh, the guy is uh, very successful. So he's like a real estate mogul and he got into archery um, filming, basically Uh, started doing YouTube stuff because he did an elk hunt and had zero pictures. So he's like, well, I want to video this want to get familiar with the camera and his YouTube channel is, you know, just going through gear, 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 high end gear and uh real big and he started Mere Mar- Mortal Archery and that's going to give back to veterans and, you know, part of his legacy what he wants to do. I mean, just a great dude. And so we talk a lot about, you know, he hunted with the ranch ferry and he did some some of these high fence hunts and, and things like that. And, uh, just a real good conversation. Great dude, super excited. And, uh, you know, hoping he's going to make it to TAC this year, uh, in Michigan, we're, we're trying to get him out there. Uh, one of our previous podcast guests, Travis Johnson, uh, hunted with him out West this year. And, uh, we talked a little bit about that. So 
hoping to get him to tack this year. Uh, the podcast that we just did with tack, if you guys are following along with uh, the Total Archery Challenge, they've had nothing but problems with that tack pass. So it's going to have to be back to the old system. So uh, just keep that in mind as you're registering. We're going to be there um, dealing with the patrons and uh, talking with them, trying to figure out uh, if we can get together and shoot up there. So our schedule is being built right now, but we're going to be there Thursday night. So shoot Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, we'll be there all the days, but we're rolling in uh, Thursday night. And uh, we're going to try and shoot uh, one of the afternoons uh, with with the Patreon. going to try and uh, set something up. So if you guys are going to the Michigan TAC, let us know. Uh, and we'll figure out uh, how many people we got, how we can coordinate that. Um, the afternoons, uh, if you have a early knock time, uh, you can usually get in a second course. And uh, I think that that's what we're going to plan to do. So um, all of that will be coming up. We're doing a cookout. Everything's going to be more organized this year. So we're going to be able to tell you this day, this time, etc. This is where we'll be. And uh, really looking forward to that. Um, speaking of Patreons, got a new Patreon this week. Uh, Johnny Caudill out of uh, Hillsboro, uh, Ohio, uh, down there where... Uh, I was looking, I'm trying to figure out how close he is to where we're going to be hunting down there this year. Um, but near the the Mobile Hunters Expo. So uh, we heard Aaron Ritter talk about that and uh, seriously looking into trying to make it down there, both because I want to go down there and put out some trail cameras and might as well head down there uh, for that event and, you know, meet some of you guys if you're going to be there. So let us know if you're going to be down there and uh, we'll, we'll try and meet up, but I'm definitely going to try and make it down there. So Patreons, you heard, heard me talk about it a little bit. Patreon is a crowdfunding for creators. It helps us, you know, with the show. It helps us to be able to do things like go to the Mobile Hunters Expo, to be able to put on the cookout at TAC, just, uh, you know, to go to TAC, to do all the things that we do, and uh, all the stuff with our studio and getting the video up and running. So super excited about that. And we can't appreciate you guys enough and we try and give back as much as we can. So you can check that out at bullhunterchronicles.com, bullhunterchroniclespodcast.com and click on the Patreon link and go to Patreon, bullhunterchronicles, blah, blah, blah. But with that, we give back. So our partners also give back. So uh, the Huntworth, like I said, they're giving away one of those uh, Shelton hoodies, but they're also doing uh, basically a turkey hunting setup. So, Jacket, hoodie, pants, gloves, hat, all that stuff. It's about $500 worth of stuff and really cool. I mean, what they're giving you is like not, you know, bargain basement, like stuff they have left over. Like this is what they want to showcase. Like this is the same stuff that we're going to be hunting in this year. So um, they're giving that away. We're giving away that Bear Montana longbow. Uh, Tom is building a set of arrows for that. So you're going to have everything that you need. You know, that comes with a stringer, um, a tab, all that stuff from from Bear Archery. And uh, like we bought the bow, but we're going to be giving that away. Uh, Spartan Forge, they're giving away a year subscription to their service. And that just continually gets better and better. I did a bunch of scouting using Spartan Forge, and the imagery is just amazing. And if you're not familiar, Spartan Forge is artificial intelligence, machine learning for the deer woods. It's taking all this military technology used to track troops and bad guys in the field and plugging collared deer studies into that algorithm and telling you 
on these days where these deer are most likely to be so you can basically decide what days are going to be better for you to hunt so they give away one of those it's just you know as much as we can do to give back to the patreons we're really trying it's like you know 33 cents a day to to help the show uh you know basically a dollar an episode if if you want to help us out and you know if if you do more we do more so we've got marco polo group send you a shirt all that stuff. I've got new designs for some shirts, for some stickers, for all this stuff coming out that I'm really excited about here very, very soon. But, um, yeah, so all that's the Patreon stuff. Really appreciate it. And if that's not for you, just give the episode a listen and tell a friend. You know, just let somebody else know what we're doing and, you know, say, check out this episode. Like, I know you watch Brandon McDonald on YouTube. These guys are talking to him. They go on and on and on, and they're just talking about punching themselves in the face and shooting deer at 100 yards or, you know, shooting at animals and is this ethical, Um, all this stuff. You know, tell a friend, but enjoy the episode. Thanks for listening. John back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast, and uh, tonight we got this guy from from YouTube, and he was like, when I saw his videos in the... um, like the our Patreons are saying Tim Gray's a big, you know, Brandon McDonald fan. And I'm like, who the hell is this Brandon McDonald fan? I talked to John. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, Brandon McDonald. And I look, and here is this just handsome guy sitting there with <laughs> cigars and, and whiskey, and he's just nerding out about bows. And it's like, I could listen to John talk about this stuff. Like, I don't need to watch somebody else about talk about bows <laughs> and all of these things, you know. And then he goes and he starts talking about business and all of this other stuff. And, you know, that, then I get intrigued because, like I said, I can listen to John talk about bows all the time. It like, doesn't do anything for yeah. me, right? So It's like your to, dad talking to you. Like, yeah, 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 look at this little the specs on the rotary girder thing. Like, you <laughs> build it over here and I will shoot it and we'll, we'll work on it that way. But So we're talking with Brandon McDonald tonight. How are you doing, Brandon? I'm great. Thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it may have come off like like a man crush thing, but that that's just one of the things. Like I watch, I look at like how people do their videos and stuff like that, and and so I want to get your. Uh, I mean, I've I've since dove into it, and like I know your backstory a little bit, and kind of how you got into this. But I have more questions. But for anybody who's like just kind of coming into it, or maybe they have the same questions of like. This Brandon McDonald guy, he's the bow guy, right? He bought five bows and he, you know, all, all of these things, right? So what's it's your story? I can't Brandon? get them for free. That was, that's, <laughs> that was that was the reason that I had to buy them. Yeah. So just just briefly, basically the reason I the reason I started the YouTube channel, um, I got off an elk hunt with my brother-in-law and we realized that we hadn't taken a single picture the entire time we were out there or or done it or done any video work. And I was like, I have to figure out a way to capture these memories. Like I, I want to remember and be able to look back at every hunt that I've done. The best way to do that is to be able to learn how to self film. And so I said, okay, in order to self film, I'm going to have to learn how to use cameras. And in order to learn how to use cameras and and keep myself accountable, I was like, I'm going to start a YouTube channel and I'm going to learn more about bows, about arrows, about broadheads, about everything that there has to do with, with hunting with two goals. One is to learn how to self-film my hunts and two, to be able to meet people who 
probably are going to be able to take me on hunts and take me to places that I wouldn't be able to ever get to uh, on my own. So like, I wouldn't be on this podcast if like nobody would, yeah, nobody would know who I am. So that that's one of the reasons that I did it. And it's been, uh, it's been super fun. Like that, that's the other thing is then when I got started, because, um, as I started kind of accomplishing the goal of learning how to use the camera and learning about lighting and all that kind of stuff, like, you know, just continuing to nerd out about not only just the bows and all that stuff, but then nerding out on cameras and, uh, um, yeah, it's just kind of enriched my life, like taking me on adventures that I wouldn't normally go to because waking up on a Saturday morning and just laying there in bed and getting on TikTok is a lot easier than being like, you know what, today we're going to a waterfall and we're going to go shoot the waterfall. Well, let's go figure it out. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's really, the whole thing has just added a lot of like richness to my life. So yeah, that's where I'm at right now. And one of the weird parts about that for me, and I have, uh, the same struggle, I guess is like you from everything that you've done. And as you've gone on with these videos and kind of like opened up and brought more of your like personal life into it, like you're a successful dude. So it's not like you're like, well, fuck, I got nothing to lose. Like we're going to try this YouTube thing. Right. You know? <laughs> and and it's very like for anybody that's out there listening, that's tried it or like considering it, you know, it's very taxing and time consuming. Even what we do with the podcast is a lot of like time commitment and there's a lot of things oh, yeah. that go into it. So like, I, I guess in that, is it just that fulfilling? Like, where did that, where was that like, like breaking point of like, this really sucks. This really sucks. Okay. N- now we're now. It's yeah. Fun. You know what? That's a, that's <laughs> such a great question because I feel like a lot of people and I get, I get messages, you know, on occasion I'll get hateful messages or I'll get comments of like, you just wanted to be famous. I'm like, Yes. I wanted to be famous amongst 35 year old white men across the country. Absolutely. Great. Like it, 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 it is, um, the journey is fulfilling in and of itself for me. So like before getting into doing like video work and editing, I was a musician back in the day. Like the, I was a music business major in college. So when I graduated from college, I went on the road playing bass for young, like female artists for three or four years after I realized that I didn't want to be poor forever and then switched over into real estate. I was doing our designs for the new construction houses that we were building. So like I'm, I'm right brained. I literally, before I started YouTube, I was sitting in our living room, like learning how to sculpt with clay. Sounds just absolutely anti like hunting and yeah, but it, it, uh, so for me, it scratches an itch. Like every time I sit down and I put a piece of music in with something that is like, way more dramatic than it should be, but the cuts just work and line up. I'm like, Oh yeah, just, yeah. It's like I said, it just scratches this itch. So I think for me, like hitting a thousand subscribers on YouTube was a, was a, a really satisfying feeling. It was kind of interesting. It took a year or so to hit that thousand sub mark. And then in the following year, it went from probably a thousand to like, like 15,000. So the second year was considerably easier and the sub game was, was way bigger but it, uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's never really, really even been about sub count. Like I, I don't have some goal of like, I want to hit a hundred thousand subs. Like it just, that part's not that important to me. I like learning and I like, uh, and I like filming what I'm learning and putting it out there. And, and obviously I'm, I'm not an expert. Like I'm, I'm just a dude who, who does some stuff. And yeah, so, so the YouTube thing just really scratches a creative itch that as my real estate stuff has gotten bigger and, 
more complicated and I'm having to focus more on um, like 30,000 foot elevation stuff where, where I have to be more of a um, controlling people and moving pieces around. I can't like get in and design our houses, which was such a big thing that I, I enjoyed doing. And YouTube again, just kind of scratches that itch for me. So it's just like a, a release then. And, and it's something, you yeah. know, so you're, so for us, same thing, like, we had these conversations like, and that's one of the things I got on my list, but so like, this, these are the, the, the conversations that John and I would have. And now we just get to have them with cool people and yes. pick their brains. And like, I don't have to take what he says as, as gospel, right? I can, I can <laughs> yeah, ask. I'm just, yeah. I'm just a guy in the basement working on <laughs> bows. I mean, I don't know what, I just make it up as I go. I mean, Adam. So Adam's the pusher. Adam's the one who says, come sit down in the chair next to me and put the headset on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so like, yeah. even tonight, I'm like, oh, man, I got to do a podcast. I was talking to my wife earlier, but then he sent me a message, Brandon McDonald, like, oh, fuck, I'm getting over there. So, John, <laughs> no, honestly, this is this is no bullshit. Like, John's usually here at like, so I tell you 830, right? So, John's here mm -hmm. at like 835. Like, we'd be doing like the, <laughs> the, the pre whatever, and he comes in like, yep, oh, yep. yeah, well, dust off right, the headset. Okay. Like, all right, who are we talking to again now? And uh, th today he was there, like my daughter's still awake, like all this stuff. He's like, "Hey, uh, yeah, I'm here. Like, I'm here. what's going on?" That's funny. That's so funny. No, but in, from from that side of it, you know, John's garage looks. You know, there's a million busted arrows and a hundred bows laying around. And if you were to look around the room here, I mean, there's bows on the wall and stacks of packs and all these things. And you know, yep. the how how do you deal with like content for the sake of content like i i've it's like this real big like dichotomy of things where it's like i should be taking a picture because i was shooting my longbow in the basement you know like i was yep. you know adjusting my pack and doing the gear and it's like you know cuz you see what you see is like everybody does this stuff and it, it is you know, quote unquote, to be famous or like whatever. And like, you're, yep. you have a YouTube, you have, you know, social media and stuff. And it's like, it gets so taxing. It's like, seems so uh, disingenuous. It's like fake, but, right. but, but right. it's really right. our life, you know, like, yep. Yep. No, it, it's, it's definitely hard to, uh, so like for me, my December got a little crazy. Like, um, Jocelyn's grandpa died on the 19th and, uh, then I got COVID over Christmas and then my grandma died on the 28th. So like, and we knew Jocelyn's grandpa was going to die basically all of December. So we were kind of prepping and setting up like he's this big patriarch of that side of the family, like it, huge, huge impact in the community. And so, you know, so I, I basically was just like, you know what, if I'm not shooting my bow and Jocelyn would get on me, my wife's Jocelyn, she'd be like, you haven't posted anything on Instagram in like a week. And I was like, I don't care. Like that, that's fine. I, one of the things that I decided I, I more than likely wasn't going to do is like, I don't have sponsorships and I don't have, you know, like Botech, you know, okay, you didn't make your three posts this month, Ava Shockey, um, you know, and so, so for me, it's been easier because I can just be like, I'm going to just not post anything if I don't want to. But the, the bigger, like with you guys in the podcast, like you have, sponsors and if i were to ever and i'm not saying i won't ever but if i were to ever have sponsors then i feel like you take on some responsibility to those sponsors and you're you're definitely right though it is this like kind of tightrope walk of now this is my job 
And it's funny, actually, I turned like music was a was a thing that I was super passionate about all growing up. And I turned music into a job. And then I hated music because I ended up hating that job. And now, like, I barely play anymore. And I've got a guitar by the, you know, by the couch and I'll pick it up every once in a while. But I, the, I don't want to turn this into a job. You know, like I didn't make videos for two months. Okay. I didn't make videos for two months. And I can do that because I don't have those, those responsibilities. I haven't turned this into a job. And, and that's a, that's a really big, like, that's a really big thing for me is making sure that I don't have to turn this into a job if I don't want to. That was, that was kind of like me, like the last three years. I mean, I carried camera gear and all the stuff and, and it got to the point where I'm like, man, it's like kind of not even fun. And so then this year I'm like, you know what? I didn't even get to hunt much. I was so busy and, and I think I hunted like five days altogether, but I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to set the camera gear aside this, you know, for right now and then just go hunt and focus on the hunt. And, you know, it was like, man, it sparked, it brought that spark back. Yes, totally. And it doesn't, for me, it never takes long. Like I just, uh, you know, I'm editing the video for the prime inline five right now. And like, you know, I set it up at night and I've got some smoke going, like I tried to do for the Bowtech video that I released. And, And it's, it's ridiculous and it's over the top. And I know, but I, I'm having fun doing it. Like, and, and I'm, and I realize, like, man, I really miss this part of it. Like certain shots that you're not sure how, when they're looking, you know, you're looking in camera and then you get them on the computer and you're like, Oh, that's, that's sweet as shit. Like <laughs> that looks really cool. So yeah, it's, it's uh, me just taking a break and then coming back. Like I'm kind of reignited. I'm super excited. I'm watching, you know, bow videos again for what's coming out this year. Like I'm, I'm back into it, but yeah, taking a break definitely kind of helped relight the fire a bit. And then I just had two bows that I'm really enjoying shooting right now, like the Bowtech and the Prime are the two first bows that have come in this year. And I got them both dialed in real quick. And I just, yeah, I'm enjoying standing in my driveway, just pounding arrows down range again. That Bowtech, man, is, so I I ended up, this year I went to the Revolt X, which is basically the same thing as the XL, just different cam mod or different cam. But I brought it over, like, we we shoot our winter leagues and they started in January and I literally took my bow from like my hunting case and brought it in and I just brought the arrows my and I shoot well actually I think the first two weeks I shot my hunting arrows and then I was finally like man they're going all the way through the bales into the back wall and stuff so <laughs> I gotta yeah, go yeah. With my the my older arrows and it was literally like 15 minutes and I had the bow tuned back in you know freaking Allen wrench cranked the cam over a little bit and bullet hole perfect you know where yeah with the pse because i have the ntn the original one yeah yeah and man i actually told dudley he could have it back when we were up at tech <laughs> he's like i'll take it <laughs> i heard i heard that story on the podcast was, yeah that's great <laughs> i'm sure he didn't have his feelings hurt no hey i don't we don't have to nerd out about bows yet unless that's where <laughs> we want to go i don't i don't want to jump the gun and add him to put his headset down walk off no, right? no that's fine like <laughs> like that you know that's that's the that's why this works so well for like john and i like john so i, I say i say it on here all the time like so john might not say a whole lot of stuff but when john talks you gotta listen and then when john talks about bows you're like all right this motherfucker he's He's in it, you know, like it's, yep, yep, yep. and 
it, it like it's great. I mean, it's an amazing resource, right? So I don't have to go to the bow shop to, you know, to have anything done, but I also don't have to go to the bow shop and like take with a grain of salt. Who's telling me about it. You know what I mean? And I think that's great with what you're doing too, is like you have all of these bows and you're going through them. Now, one of the things I wanted to ask you, like from the bow side of it, right. Mm -hmm. And, and it might be like a, a marketing thing. It might be like, you know, this is what people are searching for, but like, mid-level bows it seems like most of the bows that you're doing are like all of the like flagship bows do you shoot many of the like you know budget bows or like the 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 second tier bows no um so it's kind of strange actually with as active of a hunting community as i feel like tennessee has middle tennessee we don't have very many shops around here and um and so i'm kind of shooting what they're carrying in general and, and I'm expanding a little bit, like I'm, I'm going to see if I can, uh, I'm going to see if I can fish an Athens out of the, uh, out of some other state, but I, I don't really want to, to be honest, like it go again, goes back to that enjoyment thing. Like I get a lot of asks for like bear, you know, can you go shoot a bear bow? And I'm not saying that bear is not good and that some of their, you know, higher end stuff's not good, but, um, I don't know. I, I have limited amount of time. And so what I've kind of decided to do is I've got two shops that I like working with here and they carry certain brands. And then I've been lucky enough to uh, make contact through the elk shape guys with, you know, um, MFJJ out in Washington. And he's been kind enough to send me some stuff this year so that I didn't actually have to buy it if I didn't want to, but I've still purchased, you know, I've still bought three bows so far this year here in Tennessee to, you know, kind of support the local shops. Um, but no, the, the mid range stuff, I, don't, I mean, even if you like, let's say I, I got sent 30 bows and they were all perfectly set up. Like you still think about the amount of time that it takes to get an, an arrow dialed into those bows to make sure that the bows like in that arrow and all the, just the little subtle things to really give it a fair shake. Um, yeah, I just don't have time. So I would rather, I would rather say, why is this your flagship? Well, it's the best one that we're making. Okay, cool. I'm going to shoot that one. Right. And that's kind of Adam and I kind of go, he's like, why do you want that bow? I'm like, well, cause I'm going to shoot, I want to shoot the best bow that they make. I don't, you know, like yeah. if I'm going to shoot it, I want, I'm going to shoot a brand. I want to shoot their best bow and then I'm going to shoot yep. all the brands, best bows and see which one. So like even last year before I picked up the bow tech, I was like dead set on the Matthews. I'm like, man, I want to get the, the V3. And then I sat at the shop and I shot the V3, V3. And then I shot the bow tech and I'm like, Man, I really, I really want the Matthews, but the Bowtech just shot better for me. Like, because and it's thirty-three inches a, axle to axle. Thing. Right, right. That's a tough thing for you, like as a person to go into a shop with an idea and then to change your mind while while you're at the shop. That takes some super open-mindedness. And, like, and it also speaks to how to how much you like the Bowtech compared. Did you shoot? The, did you shoot the um, the thirty-three inch Matthews or the twenty-nine? I shot the thirty-one. It was before the, this was the V3, not the V3. Oh, the, yeah. this was the true V3. Yes. Okay, okay, okay. And that's I just the, thought that you had gotten lazy and left off the X. Okay. No, so it was the V3. This was last, you know, last year when, yeah, yeah, when yeah. the bows come out. Yeah. And, yeah, and that was the 31 or 31 and a half, whatever. And, and I'm like, and I think I told Adam, like, man, if the Matthews was a 33-inch axle to axle, then I think it would have settled in my hand a little better because I'm a 31-inch draw length. You know, I'm 6'3". Oh, yeah, yeah. 
got a long draw. And I was like, and then all of a sudden, you know, when they released the the V3X, I'm like, oh shit, now I got to go get that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, that's the, that's the one I've got on order. I'm just chomping at the bit to get that one in. That's- I should have just bought one of the stock colors, but man, I'm, yeah, I'm super excited for that one. I've always said if Matthews would give me a 33 inch VXR, I would, you know, I, I talked to one of the guys at Matthews and I was like, please do this, please. And they were like, maybe we'll see. We don't, uh, we'll see what happens. And then it obviously wasn't because of me. They had it in the plan, but I'm, yeah, I'm super, super excited about that bow. And that's why it's so hard. Like for me, because I grew up everything, you know, off the shelf. I mean, my, my first bow was from like my, my first hunting bow was a $50 out of the classified ads, you know, and the guy had a whole bunch of them and went and shot them. And I mean, I shot that bow until I think uh, from the time I was 12 years old until I, until 2003. So like, I mean, a long time and I I never killed anything. I shot at a lot of things, uh, but I never killed anything like, until I married into this family, like, you know, we, I killed a lot of things with a gun. Um, yeah. but it was just, we were just go out and shoot deer and you shoot your deer and that's it. You know, that's, that's hunting. Yep. And then they were super into bows and bow hunting and like now here we are. Right. But, of course. but so John has, and his wife doesn't listen, so it doesn't matter. Um, you know, <laughs> three bows hanging, you know, and, you know, he's hunted maybe one time with that Bowtech just because. No, actually, and, I didn't hunt with the Bowtech at all. Yeah, yeah. And, but it it wouldn't stop him from like, oh, you know, that, you know, carbon levitate, that shot really good. It's two grand, Heck yeah, but, you know, uh, <laughs> yep. you know, and then he's going to go to the bow shop and start fiddling around with the bow. And the next thing you know, you know, he's going to be like, Hey, hold on to these bows. Tell my wife I sold it. And then I need to uh, make a, <laughs> put a string on it or something. Um, uh, it, I hear you. And it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't do anything for me. Like, you know, I have had uh, shot the carbon icon at uh, ATA against every other bow. And there was nothing. And this is a couple years ago. And there was nothing that like jumped out at me. From the six hundred dollar range to the you know two thousand dollar range, and I think you know some of our best feedback podcasts, you know, because you know we have a lot of adult onset hunters, we have a lot of guys that are just picking up a bow again, and so if you say, okay, well, you want the new Matthews or new Bowtech, and then you want like you know the HHA Tetra sight or you know like that new dialed sight looks really great, you know, you know you're yeah, it does look good, you know. 500 bucks here and then you, you know it, matthews you talk about matthews you know we had a guy at our club go and he's coming getting the his matthews rest set up and he's got the fucking price tag on it. it's like 280 dollars for basically you, you know a, a, just a regular old rest but it says matthews on it and it it's the same color scheme and all that stuff and it's like you know so you're five grand into this flagship yep. everything and then you're going to, you two are going to do this again next year and maybe twice again this year. And, you know, it, for- it just depends on how deep you want to go down the rabbit hole though. Like, I mean, it's any, any, any hobby. You think about all the ridiculous hobbies that people are into. Like you, there are guys who have $50,000 go-karts that they race around tracks and they obsess over like a new 
something thing that if they can just get this thing on the go like it's written into our dna to try to progress and so when you point that that thing at something like bow hunting or bows in general it just depends on how um you know like on how voracious you want to be one of the, the number one comment that i get when i'm posting these things is like i still shoot a you know a matthew z z series and it's and it's the best bow I'll, I'll never need anything else and i've never changed the strings and i'm like i understand and that's awesome like it legitimately totally cool that's a great bow that's not what this is about i recognize that i don't need all this stuff i don't need all this stuff and 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 i don't want people to um to misunderstand i'm not making a lot of personal sacrifice to buy five bows especially not now that i've started the mere mortal stuff because those bows are now being given to people for free like that's that's one of the reasons that we started it was so that i could justify this kind of ridiculous the kind of ridiculousness because I recognize that like people could perceive that like, oh my God, I don't have the new bow this year. I, I, I'm not going to be able to kill something as well because it's three feet per second slower. And, and it's a very American thing to probably do to get obsessed with the stuff and to lose contentment with, um, with what we have. And, and like, I do it more with camera gear than I do with bow gear. Like it's, it's much more, it's an easier decision for me to just be like, you know what, I, I, I know these general specs that I like for bows, so here's what I'm going to order. And then I know generally blah, 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 blah. But when it comes to camera stuff, I'm on YouTube like all the time, just like, what's the new, the, well, the Can Canon just came out with this new R5C because it's the cinema camera. And I feel like my, my dynamic range in my YouTube videos that I post isn't enough. I need 16 stops of dynamic range versus 12. And I, like, it's just this stupid... Um, it, you know what? It's not stupid. It's an obsession to be as cutting edge and as good as we can. And it and it's probably one of the things that drives our country to be, um, you know, to be great. Like the fact that we have this freedom to kind of um, indulge this part of our DNA. So I don't I don't want to I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm downplaying a little bit because I don't want people to feel bad about not having the latest and greatest thing. But like I like that we. I like that people are creating the latest and greatest thing. And I think it's good overall that we're trying to do this. We're trying to, uh, we're trying to create as perfect a bow as we can, or as perfect an arrow as we can, as perfect a broadhead as we can. You know, I, I, I think it's overall, I think it's a positive thing. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, yep. but we have this conversation, like he was saying, like we have this conversation all the time because like you buy a thousand dollar bow and then next year it's a $500 bow or, you know, whatever, because it's yeah. not the latest and greatest, but you can yep. buy a $300 gun and it's still a $300 gun or in five years, it's a $350 gun, or you can buy yeah. a $5,000 gun and now it's a $10,000 gun. You know, it's, yep. there's a, there's a big giant difference between like the appreciation or archery as an investment is probably not, uh, uh yeah, good. we know that going into this, you know, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And the gun thing is really interesting because the other thing the $350 gun can do is it's going to outshoot 99.99% of archers if you give somebody just a weekend who's never shot a gun. That's the crazy part. I was thinking about this earlier. I was shooting 100 yards 
with the uh, with the Botec. And and I was like, if I had a rifle right now, I could probably freehand a group that was better than the group that I just shot. And like, haven't shot a rifle in a long time, but it is bizarre just the, you know, the technology of what a gun is. But obviously the gun thing, it's, it's also an asset because of the freedom that it helps us kind of secure. And, and uh, we all, you know, as much fun as it was to watch dude on uh, Walking Dead shoot zombies in the head with a crossbow, we all know that if the, if the shit hits the fan, a bow is not going to be the best, um, you know, the best tool to protect the homestead. Right. Until that rate limiting step of ammunition runs out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They'll, they'll figure something out. And we got some heavy sure. sticks, but, uh, yeah. but so yeah. you, funny thing you would say that, right? So you're, you're, uh, I didn't, I, I hadn't seen the video prior to ATA about the, uh, the axis deer. Right. And so we walk up and we're talking with Troy, Troy being the ranch fairy. And, yeah. John's like, yeah, well, the, the hunt with Brandon, you know, and, he, and so I want to hear it like from your side because I I heard it like from Troy, and I've seen your video and you know your explanations of it, but you know, th- there's not many people. Well, John's done it, I think, uh, fling some arrows out at animals at a hundred yards. Yeah, <laughs> might have flung one or two. <laughs> John just shamefully put his head down a little bit. There was a little bit of a yeah, oh, that was an antelope. yeah antelope. Uh, you got to with those little bastards. Yeah. Oh man, I have a, I have a, I have a hate relationship. There's no love for antelope right now. Yeah, I had a knee full of freaking uh, cactus pickers, and sixty yeah. yards, they yeah. looked at me like, "Oh hey," and then they went out to a hundred. I'm like, "Well, screw it, I'm sending it." <laughs> Dude, you got lucky when, when where we went. I went with Earl with uh, cutter stabilizers this year. We went to Southern Colorado and. They, you'd get to a thousand yards and I'm not exaggerating. And they would stand up and look like, what are you? <laughs> and then we'd sit there for 20 minutes and they would just sit there staring at you. Uh-huh. It was ridiculous. Had better luck in uh, South Dakota getting closer to antelope. But so, um, yeah, the axis deer, th- th- this is an interesting, like, I mean, because I'm making YouTube videos on the hunts, I'm probably doing things and then posting them and learning as I'm going about like, is that a shot that I want to make again? Like, do I want to make a 110 yard shot on an animal, especially an animal, the size of an axis. And, uh, I'm going to just be, I'm going to just be super honest because I feel like that's kind of what, that's kind of what I, you know, like, why not? I don't really, I, I don't guess I have a lot to lose. Knowing the circumstances that I was in, we were in a high fence ranch and knowing that they had tracking dogs, knowing where we were on the hunt, and then knowing how I felt under those circumstances with where the animal was, I was very willing to let that shot down. And and it doesn't look like long in the video. Like I look shaky, which is kind of honestly my typical like shaky shot. But at the very last moment, there's this you know, maybe half a second, quarter of a second where everything steadies up. And then I go, it pins exactly where I want it to be right now. And then finish pulling through the shot and the arrow goes. And is that a shot that I would take again at this point, knowing I, I don't, I just don't know. I don't want to say, I don't want to say no, but you know, like 
if no one knows and nobody sees it, then it's very easy to be like, dude, just fling an arrow at that antelope. It's a hundred yards away. You shoot a hundred yards. Like you, you know, you have the potential to hit it, but then being like, well, you're going to post this for thousands of people to look at and to, and to judge you. So, you know, and there are, I think some like, you know, is it ethical to do it? And I think it's in the gray for me, to be honest. Like, I think, I think under those circumstances, I was willing to do it for all those reasons. And maybe that's not the best, but maybe I'm continuing to progress as a hunter and continuing to progress as um, someone who's willing to make mis- mistakes in public. Although I wouldn't say it was a mistake. I just think that it was kind of gray. And I don't know what I would do. I don't know what I would do in that circumstance again now. You know, I don't, I just don't know. I mean, I shot my elk at 85 and felt absolutely super solid under the circumstances. Like I'd watch, we'd watch the elk for 10 minutes. I was calm. I was on my knees. I was super, um, like my body position was great. I drew, it was the same kind of thing where I was like, if this is not settling, I'll just let down and then let the arrow rip and, you know, uh, elk died in 60 yards. So I don't know. It's a, it's a tough one. Like I know Josh Bomar gets a ton of crap for shooting animals at really, you know, at really long distances. And I don't know. I also wonder like, is there a lot of guys that are, you know, that are shooting whitetails at 30 yards max. And then they're just like, there's no way in hell you can shoot out to a hundred and ethically shoot out to a hundred. Um, and I think what we're getting into is animal behavior a little bit at that distance, you know, like the access when I did the breakdown video, if, which if you haven't watched the breakdown video, it's crazy to watch how much this thing reacts as he hears the arrow incoming. Cause he, he definitely didn't care about the bow, the bow, the, the sound of the bow from 110 yards sound like a stick breaking to him. But when you, when he hears that arrow go in, he just does this crazy dip dive roll thing. And, um, you know, what that means is that I probably got a little bit lucky with arrow contact because my shot probably would have hit low had he just perfectly stood still. But where it ended up hitting him, it was a, a very fatal shot, liver and then out out one of its lungs, you know, as he as he kind of did this roll thing. So, yeah, I don't know. I'll uh, we'll see what this year holds. I would prefer to be like I like what Aaron Snyder says where he talks about, you know, being good enough to get within 40 yards of everything so that he's not having to take those long shots. And I think that for me, that's probably a, uh, that's probably the next step. I just, he, you know, the opportunities for me to go out and hunt are, are far fewer because I'm in Tennessee um, throughout the year. And I, I wish I could commit more time with it, but with, with what I do, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting. Like all those, all those things kind of added up to me in the, in the moment for the long shot on the axis to just be like, yes, given all the, all the factors and circumstances, let's, let's cut one loose. Here we go. Right. And you recovered him. Oh yeah. 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 Oh, he's, and it was the, it was the best meat I've ever had. And I'm super glad that I did, you know, because I think that with where we were in the hunt, the next step was me either picking up a rifle or going home empty. Right. So you know, and, and obviously if we were tribesmen back in the day hunting because we absolutely had two for meat, that's a shot I'm 100% of the time going to take given the circumstances, 100%, you know, but yeah. So on the, like, where you're on the fence with it now um, versus like, you know, obviously in the moment everything lined up and you're like, okay, this is going to be great. 
you know, I'm, I, I feel completely confident I'm going to send this. Uh, you recover the animal, eat it, all this stuff. You post the video. Like, is this, um, like, introspection coming from, like, your own, like, thought process looking back on it? Or is it from, like, backlash and then, like, weighing out yeah. everybody else's opinion? Yeah, no, I, I think the majority of it is uh, my thought process and really analyzing the what the deer did when I was doing that part of the video. Because when, when I was doing the initial hunt video, um, you know, I slowed it down a fair amount so you could kind of see what was happening with the deer. But when I did the analyzing part, I could see the arrow actually dropping in and then watch how how much the animal was reacting to the sound of the arrow. So like, that's, that's a thing that I can't, that's a factor that I can't control. And so I feel like I'm taking more of a risk at that distance than, and, and so I think editing that video was one of those things where I was like, man, maybe this isn't the best idea. Um, but you know, like one of my first hunts that I did for black buck, the first hunt that I did for black buck, the only shot we got on those, cause they're just like antelope. They're just it's really difficult to get close and they were rutting. So they weren't coming to any of the feeders um, was a hundred yard shot. And they still stood stick still until the arrow hit the ground because there was a little bit of wind. And if he would have dropped, he would, he would have been toast. Cause I just skinned the hair off of his belly, you know? And, and so that was probably one of those reasons where when I took that shot, I was like, well, I mean, you've taken a hundred yard shot on an animal before. And, you know, like this year, I took a 40-yard shot on a whitetail down in Oklahoma, a doe, and nailed her, but I hit her far enough forward that I wasn't able to recover her. It was obvious to me. I, I, could, I was watching blood pour out of her as she was running off, like I could see it. And then she ran to 80 yards to the edge of the woods, stood there for a while and bled, and then stopped up and walked off where I couldn't find her. And what I know based on, you know, doing that is I probably hit her forward in that dead zone that's ahead of everything. And there's a chance that I nicked something and she was bleeding inside, or there's a chance that she just made it, to, you know, across the pasture where we couldn't see into the next bank of woods. And I never found, I never found her and it started snowing that night. So I wasn't able to track well. So like I didn't recover a deer at 40 yards, but I did recover a deer at 110 so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think about this stuff a lot. Like I think about not, not necessarily the ethics, but just the boundaries of my limitations and then what the animal is going to do. And I don't know that there's ever going to be like, I don't know that there's ever going to be a time where everything just perfectly aligns and all, and you can, you can get rid of all the variables because I, I think that there's still, I can't, I mean, how many guys have, have missed shot a deer at 20 yards? Like almost everyone. <laughs> I did it this yeah, year. Almost I mean, everyone. Yeah. Well, but that's what I'm saying is like, I know I'm, we are, to be totally honest, we are using a less lethal weapon to kill these things. And as, as um, because it scratches some itch in us, the intimacy of having a deer close to you, of being able to see all the detail of it. And, and then being willing to basically stab it to death. You know, that is, that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. right. And, and 
I, I, I'm okay with, I'm okay with it. You know, like I'm okay with that. But if we were really talking about like, you know, full 100% absolutely ethical, you'd be sitting there with a very large gun that was going to blow a hole big enough in the deer from every distance. And you'd probably never shoot over, you know, I don't know, 50 yards, whatever. So when it comes to like thinking about the ethics of what we're doing, um, we have all accepted, we have all accepted the terms of this relationship that we have with archery and with animals. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, and every, I mean, we're shooting, it's not like we're shooting foam. That's not going to react. Every animal is going to react. I mean, like I said, less than 20 yards, a deer's, they're still going to do the same thing. You know, they're going to, you know, come in, they're going to drop, they're going to turn away. Like the pigs that, you know, the ranch fairy shoots, you know, he does videos yep. on all the breakdown that what nine yards, 14 yards, you can still see him rolling away. You know, it's just every scenario is different. So, yeah, but the, but the results are the same that every year we fill up our freezers and we feed our families and it to me it's an acceptable uh, the terms are acceptable of what we have decided to do like it, it just is i think there's a lot of um like a hundred years ago th there would just be no question like it would just be like yeah of course this is what we do but for some not for some reason the more modern we get as as people and the more cityfied we get there's more people that are like i can't believe you Right. I can't believe it. Right. And, uh, you know, fuck those people. As they're going to McDonald's and buying the burgers yeah. from, you know, a slaughterhouse. That, well, but, and, you know, we, we have that conversation often, right? Like, and one of the things that we haven't talked about, I don't even think I've talked to John about it, is, you know, there's all of this, like, infighting, right, amongst hunters and, and everything. And, uh, so we talk about like, as we go further and become more acidified, right. And we talked earlier about like, this is just the way that we live our lives. I mean, so at my, my daughter was three years old. Uh, my, one of my friends was going to the store, comes back. There's a dead deer that got hit in the time frame, you know, unprompted. Yep. My daughter go, goes with him, comes back and, she'd seen us clean deer and stuff before. And my wife asked her, what'd you think of that? It was her first time like seeing them like cut meat from an animal, you know, on the side of the road, you know I mean? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just something yep. they, that we do, but it's just, you know, <laughs> sure. Three year old. And my daughter looks at, at uh, my wife and she says, I just wish they would have let me carry the meat back. <laughs> like wow. that, that, I mean, and that's, you know, and, and so when you talk about like that cityfied, like this is just the way that we live our lives, right? And this hunter infighting, like what I'm getting at here is like, I didn't realize like when I was coming up hunting and really until I started like entered into this space, that there was a difference between like public land hunting and private land hunting. Like I just thought it was hunting. Oh, you hunt on your parents' property and oh, you hunt over there. But now everything has to be like, oh, well, that, I only hunt public. And you, for the amount of people that we talk to, like at these shows and at this stuff where that becomes like a big deal, like we're, especially like when we're talking about saddle type stuff, like if you talk to somebody who hunts and, you know, especially like younger guys, like, yeah, I, you know, I'm really trying to get out on public, you know, I've been hunting my farm, you know, and all this stuff. And like, I'm, but I'm going to try and hunt some more public, like, like. 
I, do we make it sound like it's that cool or like that it's better? I mean, or like I, to be, I mean, like imagine. I feel like the biggest like killing a seven by seven elk on public land, where you know there is that is one hundred percent an incredible accomplishment versus me going to a high fence ranch and being like, hey, what uh, what elk size do you guys have in right now? And they go, oh, we've got a seven by seven. And I go, great, I'll be there on Friday. And here's the food that I would like. And what kind of, of uh, sheets do you have on the bed? And can you set the AC to 70? You know, like there is no doubt, no doubt that it, it's, and this is again, just like we've been talking about like human, the human nature of you have created something that is that is the most difficult. The most difficult thing to do is a public land hunt for a monster, whatever. See, but but there's like, it'd be interesting to be like, you know what? You know what's actually even harder? You should go hunt elk in Louisiana. <laughs> like, that's the ultimate. Because, dude, let me tell you, if you can accomplish that goal of an elk in Louisiana, like, holy crap. So there is there is a line where it becomes absurd. And to me, some of the places that I've hunted that were public, I was like, oh, this is absurd. Like this in and of itself right here, the amount of people versus the amount of animals that are here, this is absurd. And for me, coming from Tennessee, this is a giant ass waste of my time. <laughs> and the amount of effort and the amount of money and the amount of time that it has taken me to prep to do this. I'm hunting elk in Louisiana. So when people give me crap for like hunting high fence, I say, this is not, I don't take the same joy out of shooting the, the axis that I did as shooting the elk that I did, which the elk was on public land. I purchased a tag for that through the, the, you know, the, the landowner program, the tag was extremely expensive. Most people aren't going to be able to do that. That's just where I am in my hunting journey and my life journey. Like, yeah, I, I get it. Like people give Joe Rogan shit because he shows up in California or, or in Utah at these really, really specialized places. But do you think that Joe Rogan is going to go to an over the counter DIY place and take his time to go do that? The answer is no. And all the people that are doing DIY over the counter, if I said, hey man, I will give you a this type of hunt, here's what it is and here's where it is, I think they would be extremely tempted to be like, yeah, I do want to do that. Because I want to go to California and I want to hunt the, the Tahone Ranch. Of course I do. Yeah, I'm in. You know, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, but I think that there's a lot of, um, but there's nothing like, hunting hunting over the counter diy on public land is sifting for gold in a place where many men have sifted for gold before and finding the nugget there being being a better hunter or being right place right time there is something that is super super special about that and i fully acknowledge that feeling i fully acknowledge that but that's why i said like m me going out and shooting um and shooting something on private probably feels less special than that versus and then me going and shooting something high fence feels less special than that you know when i go high fence it's because i want to try access meat and so i but i would prefer to also go have a cool experience with troy the ranch ferry and with sarah gamash and like 
do that adventure grocery shopping. That was why I called that video that. Right. Well, so yeah. and I think Troy told told us when he was telling us like it, it, it was like the second biggest ranch in Texas. So when you say like, that's a high fence ranch, it's not like, you know, in a backyard of somebody right. like no. it, it was. No, it, I mean, was, that, the, yeah. The, and it was right after the Texas freeze where they had lost the vast majority of the axis deer and the black buck that were on the property. So the pickings were super slim, um, you know, and, and yeah, yeah. I, I'd be curious to know what I'd be curious to know what Troy's side of the story was. Like we talked, you know, we, we did an interview while we were down there. It'd just be interesting to see how he recollects everything and how he's telling the story now. What was fun. I mean, so John was there like for, for like what I recall, you know, he, he was like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and he's like, we were leaving or like going to the airport or something or, or going to town. And we drove and there was these axes that were out there and they were like way out there. But these are animals that were not like, like uh, on a pattern anymore. So it was like, this is this huge ranch and they weren't, they weren't going to feeders. They weren't going to this and they were right there. So we turned around and we went and got our stuff and we got out and we stalked and we stalked closer and closer and closer. And then he's like, all right, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go over here and they're going to run over by even they ran like the opposite way or something. So then he had to stalk like a bunch further. And then he's like, and. And then all of a sudden it was like, we weren't getting any closer. And I look up and he's like at full draw. Whoa, 110, huh? He's going to send it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Get the camera. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, that's, that's roughly, that's roughly what was, what was happening. This I is guess. third yeah, hand, roughly. right? So this is, this <laughs> yeah, is sure. a telephone. No, good. That's, that's good enough. I mean, yeah, Troy was on, Troy was on camera there. Yeah. I mean, it, there, there's, um, there's no doubt that the fences play a role and the feeders play a role and the watering holes play a role in how those animals are, are living. But yeah, I mean, it's a 3000 uh, acre ranch and the fences were done way back when pre this guy buying it and there, and the, the pastures were huge. There were spots where you could walk for a long ways and not actually see a fence. So, I mean, it feels super open. I mean, I don't want, I don't want animals to be abused. I don't want them to be thrown, you know, for a hundred animals to be thrown in a five acre, you know, little section like we do with cattle when we're bringing them to the slaughterhouse. And then for guys to be like, hell yeah, I shot a 250 inch white tail this year. Like that's, that seems disingenuous to me, but like my access that's on the wall when people ask me like, wow, what is that? I say, I was at a high fence ranch in Texas and here's who I was with. And would you like to try a piece of access meat? It's awesome. You know, I'm not, I'm not acting like I went and got the thing in, you know, Hawaii. Yeah. Like, so that's one of the things like just the whole like high fence or like outfitter or like everything uh, type conversation. So like eating better is easy with factors, delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including calorie smart protein plus, which is the one I like and keto get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites and more. No prep, no mess meals, factor meals, are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 
and use the code WaypointPod50 to get 50% off. That's WaypointPod50 at Factormeals.com slash WaypointPod50 to get 50% off. For yourself, you know, you have, again, for you, like with uh, the high-end bow videos, with, uh, you know, you have a video that says, uh, you know, how how I spent, how I justify or whatever, where I got my money for $75,000 in hunts this year, right? Sure. Um, is like almost the antithesis of like the what the conversations that we have generally speaking, right? Yeah. Because um, I think even like you yourself would say that's not out of, you know, that's out of most people's realm of like what they do unless you're these guys that are chasing a slam or like do it, doing some right. of this stuff. But then I was but watching those guys that are chasing the slam though. That's interesting because you can't just decide to go chase the slam unless you have some resources and some time to go do that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like, you know, yeah, yeah, but you, you are correct. And, and honestly, I know that, that, that some of this stuff, like especially the finance stuff is going to turn a lot of people off. Well, and what, what I, I want to say about of, that was yeah. like in, um, like one of your other videos, and I'm not sure which one it was you were, you were, uh, sitting down and you were kind of talking about like the real estate side. I think it was like your second or maybe third real estate video that you were doing. Um, And it was talking, you used an analogy about hunting and you were saying, you know, it's like, it's like going on a hunt where somebody's already scouted it out for you and they've already done this. And, you know, so that was something that struck me as like, you know, in business, and I think that you approach a lot of things from like a business standpoint and you had mentioned it with the, like Joe Rogan, it's somewhat of like a return on investment. And like, I say this a lot, you know, a lot of things that I do at work and like in trying to, I, I don't want to say like motivate people or whatever, but maybe like empower people by saying like, what is your time worth? Right. Yeah. And so like, if you have more money than time, you it might be more beneficial for you to focus your time. Like you said, it, it's not worth your time to go where there's a million hunters and you're sifting for that one piece of gold. But if you have more time than money, then DIY the shit out of everything and yeah. give it a whirl. And, and right? when, yeah. And when I was, you know, when I was 23, 24, 25, just graduated college, like I was making 25 grand a year playing music. But when we were gone on weekends, I had lots of time during the week and I would have, you know, grabbed my uh, original Browning compound bow that I had where I bow hunting. And that's what I would have gone out with. And I would have gone DIY public land, you know, for whitetail here in Tennessee. And and I would have, you know, scrounged up enough money to figure out a blind. And that's that's great. Like that that's that's where I was then. And then I decided to start making changes in my life because I said, I don't necessarily want to do that, do this this way forever. And I started making those changes where, uh, where I, I mean, I gave up a a career in music, which was a thing like I loved music. And I said, I believe that I will never get to the point of financial security that I want to doing this job. And I, I wonder how many people have really thought about that? Like, if are you in a job that will allow you to achieve the level of financial security that you really want? 
like I think about the episodes of The Office with uh, with Steve Carell as, as Michael Scott, and he would talk about like being a multimillionaire when he retired. And, every, you know, it was, it was obviously a joke because of what he was doing. And everyone knew that he was not making the making changes and making the steps in his life to actually get to that point. And it was literally like a joke. But I wonder how many people in their minds are thinking, I'm going to retire and it's going to be great. And you're like, okay, tell me what you're doing to get there. Tell me what you're doing to get to that point. And I will tell you whether you're on the right trajectory or not. And so, so when I started making those incremental small changes, it was, it was both the easiest thing ever and the, and the hardest thing ever. Once you figure out how to buy a house and how to fix a house and how to rent a house, then you know how to do it. And then you just go do it again, and then you do it again, and then you do it again, and then you do it again. And there's little variances that that happen within it. But generally, once you've figured it out and once you've learned, you know how to do it. And then you can just go do it again. What I so think it's, it's both easy and hard. What yeah. I think is so amazing about like what you just laid out right there, and it it affects a lot of people on like a lot of different levels as far as like just even talking about careers and stuff. But I would say that that... I could like make a TikTok of this and overdub like a couple of words and say, once you figure out how to kill big deer, then you know how to kill big deer. And then you yeah. just do it again and again and again. And what are, what changes are you making incre- incrementally to achieve that? And And that's one of the things that we deal with, with our listeners, like quite a bit, like guys that uh, my brother-in-law is a great example is like he can recite to you like everything that Dan Infault's ever said or what the hunting public does or like whatever, but you can't get him out of bed or in the woods or anything. Like it's like there's this giant disconnect of like, I know exactly what to do, but he's not willing to change that little thing. It's that one little step. And then there's so many people that like obsess about their gear or like the ranch fairy, like get your arrows right. Or like, I can't get this knock tuned or like, my camo doesn't match or like, I don't have all the stuff for my saddle, but it's like, what are you doing to like, how much time are you spending in the woods? Like looking for these deer or are you, you know what I mean? And it's, yes, and you're it, absolutely right. And it's the entire part, part of your life. So whether it's finances or weight loss or like whatever, it is those incremental changes. And once you know how to do it and you commit to making those changes, then it's, you know, it, it's yeah. certainly doable. Right. Yeah. Well, and so so much of the stuff is truly it's relatively simple, but it's very hard at the same time. So like weight is an issue for me. Like that that's one of those things that I I struggle. My wife is she works out every day. She's very petite. She's very picky about what she eats. And I wake up in the morning and I'm like, I want carbs and sugar and fat. I want all of it. I want 2000 calories. I want pancakes and sausage. I want all the stuff. And so that's a, that's a, that's a struggle for me. And it's very simple. Don't eat breakfast. Don't eat shit for lunch. Don't eat shit for dinner. And that's it. That's very simple, but it's very hard to do. It's, it's, it's really strange. So, and it's, yeah, it, it's the same thing with so many things in life, but there's these, yeah, the human, you know, it's a, the human brain just does 
I don't know. Yeah. So one of the things that, you know, we'll get to it like at the end, John always wants to know, like, what's your bow setup? But like one of the things I've been thinking about asking people, because like, I think it's really awesome to like figure out where people have come from. Right. And you just mentioned it. Like, I want to ask people what their first bow setup was, like your first real hunting setup. And for you being like archery nerd of nerds, like, do you, were you always that way? Like, so back in the Browning days. No, No, I wasn't. And that's the thing back in the Browning days. Like I had, I, my dad bought me the Browning compound bow when I was in high school and I just wanted to backyard shoot and I wanted to, you know, just kind of learn some of the stuff about compound bows and now knowing what I know, I'm just like, Oh my gosh, how, like, how did you, how did you ever even hit anything remotely with this thing? Like knowing what I know now. And, um, but then I hung it up for a while and I would rifle hunt. So my, my kind of extended families down in West Texas and then down in Arkansas. And so when we would leave Colorado, which was where I was born, um, when we would leave Colorado for our, you know, twice a year vacation, once to see Mamma and Granddad, and then once to see Nana and Papa, we would go hunt stuff in those different places, birds in Arkansas, and then birds and deer down in Texas. And so I, I, I had it like the hunting thing was always something that was like, this is awesome. Like, this is super cool. And then when I bought this place, this, uh, we have 25 acres here in Nashville 10 years ago, that was when I really was like, okay. I want to get back into something with archery, like that, that kind of thing. So I picked up the Browning bow again and I started, you know, kind of farting around shooting a bag target and ready. And then we had a tenant move out and he offered to trade me a 10 point crossbow for if he could take the stove and the fridge. And I was like, that could be cool. Let's do it. So I traded him this, you know, he gave us the 10 point crossbow and I started kind of getting that dialed in a little bit. And when I say dialed in, I was just making sure that the, the little dots on the scope, you know, were, were, were good. And I literally had trees that I spray painted with what dot I should use if the deer was standing there and, uh, and, and killed my first doe. I killed two does that year actually with it. And then I was, I was hooked after that. Then I went in, you know, then I went down to the archery den in Tennessee and, and, you know, Bought, bought one bow that year and then two bows the next and then just, you know, started kind of going from there. But yeah, I, I think my first, like, probably the Browning was my first one, but I think my first, like, really good bow was, I guess it was the Halon 32 was probably my first bow that I consider really good. I had two in between the Browning and all that stuff and they were major brands, but but that's more fun. Like the Browning stuff, like what arrows were you shooting with the Browning? What broadheads and like what sight and what rest? Like that, the, yeah, that's so, the fun stuff. Right, right, right. So that one, oh, man, the arrows on that, I'm, I'm, I still have it. Like I'm looking, I'm looking over at it. That's why I'm looking at it and I'll never get rid of it. Like it's just, you know, one of those memories. Um, they, they were the old, they were older school aluminum arrows that had like the traditional uh, Easton FMJ just did like a throwback arrow to them. They, they did this kind of vintage look. And then the rest that was on it was a whisker biscuit. And the sight that was on it is like, you know, three brass pins and a, and a, a janky plastic housing around it. You know, the peep is the peep has, you know, crap and feathers all hanging around it. You know, it's, it's just a, Yeah cheap janky bow. And then I had, I think it came with one of the, uh, 
like the $5 plastic releases that you could get that I'm pretty sure when I started shooting it, I was clipping it under the arrow on the actual, uh, on the actual string. I wasn't using a loop with it. Yeah. So I remember like getting, and John has a bunch of the old, old stuff. Um, but like, I, I must've been like, maybe it might, I might've been 12. Cause I, we had to be 12 to hunt. And so when I got that bow, and then like I, I would go to I went to like Myers like our grocery store had a yeah, archery yeah. section you know and they had a cobra plastic thumb button release that opened up like I'm pretty sure this. that's what it was yep, yep. and uh, I did the same thing I just hooked it underneath the arrow and I was like shooting arrows everywhere and and this is you know like literally got a hay bale from the farm across the street and it was minute of paper plate at. 20 yards and you're good. And I was not that I was better with. So I was shooting fingers with a leather glove at 20 yards. And that, that was, that was good enough. <laughs> you know? yep. And that, and that was, yep. that was it. So that's, I was doing you, the, the same thing. Were you hunting with that bow? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. See, this is the interesting thing is you were hunting with that setup. You were trying to shoot and murder an animal with that setup. Mm-hmm. And people were like, oh, I can't shoot a deer at 60 yards. You're like, you shouldn't shoot at deer when you have, you know, when you have this setup, mm-hmm. you know, like we're talking, if we're talking about, if we're talking about uh, the ethics of shooting an animal. Now, obviously if you can hit a, you know, if you're hitting a tennis ball 20 yards with that setup, totally good to go rock it out. But, but yeah, I think, paper plate 20 yards. But, but I think the mentality was always like reverse engineering it. Right. So like, I don't know how, accurate the indians were or whatever but mm-hmm. they were using a stick and a rock so this is yep. better than that right and it got you into it like that's the thing it got you into something that you now love so what like so should you have had that taken away from you because of some you know ethical thing and i obviously the answer is no but yeah so, yeah so prior to like all this and like it, it has only like in the last year or so. And like when you were talking about uh, on a, another podcast that you were on doing like uh trajectory testing with different weight arrows and, and things like that. Like when I was a junior in high school, I still had that same bow. That was the bow that I was using, but we had to do a physics project. And so w- what I did is I did different weight arrows but they were in grams, not grains, right? Yeah. And I had a tape measure uh, attached to a pendulum, and I would shoot the target on the pendulum, and then the amount that it moved, and then just reverse engineered like that physics equation, and that was like my Dude, that's awesome. That was my project, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, this is you know very early internet days and like all of that, so that wasn't like you were. I was stealing anybody's ideas or like, I could just go on like, you know, the, the calculators where I was like, Oh yeah, we'll just figure it out. Like, yeah, I, this but was all awesome. math. And like, <laughs> yeah. But it got, but like, it's that, that curiosity that we, you know, that we've been talking about that kind of that, that pushes you forward. You learned a ton about that stuff at that moment. And, and you learned like, okay, if a deer, I, the problem is you probably didn't understand like a heavier arrow is probably going to do a better job penetrating than a lighter arrow. I don't know. You know, for the long time, it had more energy. (laughs) Okay. But you'd actually done the research and and figured out like when this thing hits, it's yeah, that's Mm -hmm. cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, like, I, I completely forgot about that until like, 
you were like, oh, we're, you know, when the, you're like, oh, we're going to do these videos and stuff like that. And I'm like, man, I did shit like that when I was like. It's my dad. <laughs> well, so I go back like farther than, than Adam. I mean, my dad was like, he shot at the club. Uh, you know, this is way back. And he painted all the bows for the, I mean, originally the bows came and they were all shiny. Wow. They all looked like target bows. And so for the the local shop here in, in Muskegon was called Angler Archer. And my dad would get all the bows. Like when they, when they sold a bow, they'd like, do you want it camouflage? Like, sure. So they'd tack on 20 bucks and they'd send them to my dad and he'd spray paint them all black. And then I remember as a kid, I'd cut out the, the, the shop would give us a bunch of old hunting magazines and I would sit there with the exacto knife and I would cut out all the pictures of the bucks and does. Oh man. And then he would use those to spray its silhouette, you know, like airbrush. Dude, them that's awesome. And, See uh, that I wish I wish I would have been in at that stage. Like my dad was an accountant. So <laughs> that, no, we we weren't. But that's that's yeah, that's super cool, man. But then he did all kinds of stuff like he was always trying to make the bows faster. And so he actually made his own now looking back is it's terrible. Like he made his own overdraw. So that way he could shoot a smaller diameter arrow and then it would, you know, in order to shoot, I think we were shooting 1816. So double X 75, 1816 arrows out of, you know, back then like a 65 pound bow, but we'd have to shorten them up so much to, to get the right flight out of them. But talking okay. about hand torque and everything, you know, let you think about it. And then back then they didn't have a shoot through riser. So, I mean, he had to shoot these broadheads that were just tiny. They were like, I think they were called Savoras. They're like just a little four-blade razor blade. But, and then then all of a sudden PSE came out with the machined riser with the actual overdraw, the Mach Flight 4s. And, uh, and then, you know, they're like, yeah, we need to get away from that crap. So I shot, and then Dude, like. So what? I mean, what year? What year are you talking about? Like, how far? How far back is this going? This is back in the early '80s when. Okay. And then you know, then the mid '80s. You so, think about the technology that has changed in just forty years. Right. That's that is insane. What has happened in forty years for bows? Like, yeah. if you could literally take a new Matthews and show somebody back then and be like shoot this because this is what this is going to become. And they were like, who does the painting on them? That's really cool. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> you don't understand. Yeah. yeah. And then, Dude, that's so, awesome. You know, back then, um, well, so I had to, sh- I, I started out, I had to shoot the little recurve, you know, and then once I got, you know, pretty proficient with that, he let me have my first compound, but it was, it was just fingers and no sight. And then when I got good with that, then he's like, okay, you can have a sight. So I got one brass pin and it was still fingers. And then, and he always shot, he had, he had like basically cut his hand off when he was like 18 and they sewed it back on. So he had like no feeling. So he had to use, it was a, it was called a hot shot. It was a two finger thumb release. And then he modified it with the loop and stuff. Cause originally it just had the one metal pen or a pin on it. And so he did all the stuff with the extending the loop and they didn't have a D loop back then. You just shot with, you know, you had your brass knock on the top and then you had like an eliminator button. Actually, Adam just asked about those. Like they come on the Bowtech still, like the little rubber buttons that are on the string. Those are like the eliminator buttons. I used to slide those up 
and you'd have that underneath that way when you're drawn back with the with the actual release on the string beneath the arrow it wouldn't pinch the knock as bad it would have that right. rubber button would cushion it you know yeah yeah and i mean we shot yeah. that for years like that i still so, have I mean, a how, hot what shot. type of distance could you what type of distance could you be accurate to with that setup so my dad was like a badass he could kill this we had this little plastic uh piggy bank it was a pink bear i remember it and he put it out like 55 yards and he was like he could drill that Holy thing right crap. you know i'm like and everyone's like man that's badass you know like 55 <laughs> yards he's shooting 55 yards and uh but he was you know he was a good shot at it but yeah. now thinking back like shoot that's what i practice at every day basically you know right. i go out and shoot 60 yards but yeah but it, it like those setups i mean it sounds like just duct tape together you know <laughs> like yeah that's well, and that's what I'm talking about. So, like, I, my, my dad bow hunted, but he didn't, wasn't like, wasn't his passion. So he, you know, he rifle hunted. He went out west and rifle hunted. My grandpa never bow hunted. He rifle hunted all over North America and Africa and and everything. And so then I'm, wow. I, I marry into this family, and it's like so his dad worked at this bow shop, and my father in law, his uncle worked at the other bow shop and so like and then my other uncle was his family so there was two big bow shop or two big like sport sporty shops. goods sports shops in muskegon one was on the north shore of muskegon lake and that was angler archer and they you know obviously fishing gear and archery equipment and then the other big one was spring sporting goods well my my mom's well so sister yeah. my mom's sister married phil spring that was the other sporting goods store so my yeah, own, you're just freaking inundated, yeah. man. Yeah, and so yeah. So like, my uncle Frank, his father-in-law, <laughs> he went to work for Springs, and he worked in the archery. And he met Fred Bear, and he was just telling us the other day about how, you know, because they went to the trad show here in Kalamazoo, and he's like, "Man, I remember when the compound bows came out. We had stacks of the old like bear trad bows, and basically put them in a barrel, and they were like twenty bucks a piece." You know, just get rid of right. them. They weren't selling. And they're, the, all these yeah. used bows at the show were $300, you know, and he's like, I probably sold a bunch of those, you know. And, Dude, that's and, – yeah. And so, like, when you're, like, thinking about this, like, how far archery has come and, like, where we're at with equipment and all these things, like, you know, I just wandered into this mecca and I'm like, all right, this is cool, you know. Like, you go into the, the pole barn there. And it's, it's like Cabela's, you know, I mean, there's like tree stand. I mean, they're everything. And like, when I brought my bow over, they just took my bow and they're like, okay, you know, put slap this on there. We'll change the rest out. We'll do this. Okay. Shoot like this, you know? And, and so for me, that just like made it one more, more level. Right. Dude, you got picked up from like where you were on the journey and brought way oh, yeah, forward. Yeah. And that's one of the cool things about YouTube is because I wouldn't have had, like, I didn't have anybody. I remember the, the first arrows that I had when I was 15. I didn't realize that there was an insert that was supposed to go inside of the shaft. And I literally just took, you know, took some points, put some glue around them, and then just held them as straight as I could in the end of the arrow. Like, just hold, hold. So, you know, maybe had there been a YouTube, I would have been able to watch. But, you, yeah, you were super fortunate. And that I feel like that's before YouTube. That's the kind of stuff that it would take to get people into like, nobody would even have taken the risk. Like, well, I, I want to learn how to, to, you know, whatever bow hunt. 
And if you didn't know somebody, because the first time you go out and you, you, you go buy all the gear and you immediately shoot like total crap. And then you're like, Oh man, I, I don't know what to do to make this better. Like, especially if the arrow's coming out and it's doing, you know, some, some fun stuff or you put broadheads on and then all of a sudden you just have a disaster and you have no idea what to do to fix it. You know, like, yeah, you got, you got lucky, man. You got lucky to have been married into that. Yeah. And you should see his cousin, like my wife, she's, she's cool too. she's a bonus you know it's, it's not it's not like i got like the, the ugly chick or like whatever and i'm just like well the bow hunt stuff's cool so i'll stick around you know i'll tolerate it it's just i just got i got That's really funny. lucky yeah. well i really don't like my wife but yeah i love the family got all this bow yeah. stuff in her family so yeah yeah, yeah. you know so i could be worse yeah, no. right? i get it i get it yeah I mean the legacy of the the legacy of all that. I wish I wish I had that type of legacy, but I am I'm an adult onset archer is what I consider myself for sure. Like just because I had the bow, you know, when I was 15 forward, I wasn't I wasn't doing a ton of stuff with it, you know, and it wasn't until I was 29 that I bought this place that that things kind of started to take off again. Um and then yeah, I mean just just probably in the last 4 years is when I've really gotten really serious and started taking more steps to try to learn more stuff about all this and yeah learning and learning in public and posting in public not being worried about being embarrassed i should one of these days we should go through some of all the old stuff i still have like one of the original uh like one of the first drop away rests that i can remember like it was a it was actually just an inertia rest it was called the trap door whoa and yeah it that thing you you put it on the boat and there was no you cocked it and when you shot, it dropped. There was no cables, nothing. And I think actually, I, mean, what, I can't remember. Was it what just feeling the forward? Like, was it just feeling just, the forward pressure of the bow? Yep. Just so like, if you let down fast, it would drop. Like, so it would drop. Yeah. Yeah. It's still in Interesting. my, it's still in my drawer with all, I mean, I got all kinds of old stuff. I still have one of the original Dude, hot should, shots. You should totally like just to show people where, where bows have come from, especially if you're a big, you know, like being the big bow nerd that you are showing like the progression, we, we were given an old cougar. That's an old cougar bow. That's above, that's above our fireplace. And it's got, you know, these tiny little roller wheels and it's beautiful wood, you know, wood riser, but I'm sure it's, you know, one of the early, you know, one of the early compound bows. And I've never tried to shoot it cause I don't want to break it, but it's got the metal D loop on it. Yep. You know, so I still have, so I have the very first Matthews I bought, which was back, it was the Matthews Z Max. Well, it was, it was called the Feather Max. It was the year the Z Max came out and that is still hanging up and maybe it's at my buddy's garage now because I, I think I sold that one twice too, but (laughs) So it'd be a cool YouTube video to see how those shoot, like see if you can get them all set up, get it dialed in with arrows and then to, to shoot it against one of the new ones and to see how it did. Yeah. It'd just be interesting to see like how well, you know, cause I'm, you can get it to tune. I'm sure as long as yeah. it's shooting consistently, you're going to be able to make arrows come out of it straight. Yeah. And I think, so my dad passed away is two years ago now, but my nephew has his house and I, I believe there's still one of the old, bows hanging up in his garage that were uh, with his paint job on it. So that's, I mean, man, that's awesome. Well, that 10 gauge has his paint job on it. Yeah. The the turkey gun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking up here online. So my dad, he bought out of the back of a magazine, 
like one of the first compound bows. And I'm trying to see like what year it was, but it's a, it's a herders and he still has it. And it's still like in the garage and it's a six wheeled compound with everything is metal cables. Yeah. Like, yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 A little, little tiny. Stuff. And then it's got, you know, what Frank calls the speed arms in the middle, but it's got these metal plates that are sandwiched in there. And like, it's, it's pretty wild. Like, <laughs> and, and, and so when I was hunting with my PSE bow, like when I was 12, my dad, which this bow, I, I don't even know what year this bow would have come out, like late 60s, early 70s, was still hunting with that bow. Wow. The like, death machine with the freaking metal cables. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. Well, and when I bought my bow, uh, for, like I said, it was from like a classified ad garage sale. Um, so the bear is coming out this year with a new bear Alaskan and it's like the 30th anniversary or something, but like the bear whitetail twos and the bear, I think it was the bear Alaskan. They had that same multiple cable system yeah. inside and like that bear whitetail and the bear whitetail two was like a legit, like viable hunting bow. Like a, that was one of the industry standard bows at the time. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. And now this is so far before, before me. <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah, it's just beyond. Yeah. That's crazy. But it's just so like, I don't know the, like I say, watching the stuff on YouTube and like the things that you do. And like, so, you know, with John, like building the strings and making, you know, doing all of the, the, the tuning and, and like, the like for me you could probably do it you know and but john's one of the few people that i know that can like literally just walk up to john dudley and be like hey man this bow is fucked and here's why and he's like yeah you just need to do this and do this and he's like yeah i did all that and then i put it back to stock because i'm getting rid of it and he's like well whose string is this this isn't the stock string And he's like i made this string and he's like you did now dude this is he's <laughs> he's way beyond me man i'm not over i'm not above calling the shop and being like hey i can't figure this out you know help me out with some with some ideas what is this and no dude you're you're way deeper into the stuff than i, than I am just yeah but just to start say, doing, the doing same, tons of youtube videos the same mindset though like that's where yeah like to be like all right well i'm gonna i'm gonna be able to figure this out or like you know I, yeah. I'm I'm completely of the mind like it's not worth my time like but at 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 some point like I don't know if you have I'd imagine as far in your journey as you are like you've had a bow like in the press or something and it's popped and you know something came off and like I, I don't mm -hmm. I don't want to do that like I don't want to, I'd rather have it yeah. be your problem not my problem right I totally get it and I, and I think because you've got the relationship that you have then, you know, you're lucky for me with, with the shops that were here. Like I wanted to learn, I wanted to learn how to work on my own stuff, e even just for like in the field knowledge, like I've, I can, you know, like I can fix a lot of stuff that can go wrong in the field, obviously to a certain point. Um, one of the earlier uh, elk hunts that I did with, with some buddies, one of the guys was like, I just had new strings put on it. You know, it was, it was, 
it's shooting great. And I was like, all right, let's do it. And he takes it out of the case and it's got, you know, it's dusty and it's obvious that he hasn't shot in forever. And, uh, and, and his peep is backwards. And he's like, I can't see how to peep. And we, and we all just were looking at each other like, what do we, what do we do? And now I would know exactly what to do in, in the field in that moment. And, you know, we would put something together that would be a little janky, but it would definitely get him through the hunt, you know, and he was a top, you know, top pin, guy that was what they called themselves oh if it's it's beyond the top pin we're not shooting at it <laughs> um luckily we didn't see any elk that year so <laughs> not a big deal but it yeah so when you talk about like there not being that many shops around you or like whatever like I, i'm starting to realize like from like we talked about i want to talk about the total archery challenge type stuff but like how really fortunate we are with like what we have like do you have like a archery club or like somewhere to go shoot a range, anything like that you haven't built yourself? Sort of, sort of is the answer. Um, There's old Hickory Bowman club here, but it's fairly limited as far as, as far as access. Uh, I I did one 3d shoot last year and I drove four hours to get to it. Like if I want to go do something on a weekend, I am 100% going to have to drive at least an hour to, to get there, which, you know, like an hour is okay but two or three or four hours. And, and I wasn't happy with the, I was shooting the Nexus last year as my like 3d bow, but I literally shot it um, twice at different 3d stuff. And I was like, man, I just, I'm not happy with how this is going. And I don't want to keep messing with this thing, trying to get it like perfect. And I did later in the year, I I switched it up for, and I, I used it for hunting later on, but it was just so much effort to be able to go and to be able to do, to shoot 3d. Like that's what I'm super jealous of, of you guys and the Western guys that are like, Oh yeah, no, I just drive over here. And every weekend there's, you know, 40 people out there walking around the 3d range that we've got at our local club, you know, and we're working on that. Hopefully the archery den, which is our, you know, kind of more probably like biggest archery, uh, you know, archery shop here, they're working on expanding and hopefully they'll get a spot where they can start doing more events. It's just, it takes like a person who's willing to put all that stuff together and be willing to put in the effort week after week after week to put on events and, and make it happen. And the culture here, I think it's probably just because of the animals, you know, like because we're only hunting whitetail here, but I guess that's probably, I mean, you guys aren't, it's not like y'all have, no, we no. don't have a bunch of just stuff white, there either. White, no. white tails here. And I mean, yeah, turkeys in the spring, but, but, but yeah. it just so seems we're like the same down here, but, I don't know why the I don't know why the like bow hunting culture in Michigan seems stronger than it does here. Yeah, and like so like you hunted with uh Travis Johnson and you know, we had him on the podcast and he shoots at our club, but even like up where he lives, there's a club yeah, up well, there and there's, there's I mean there's multiple places around here. It sounds yep. like you guys just need like a, a real estate guy to find you like a property or something like a something with like a pole barn and like a little bit of acreage. If only, or we, if only we knew a real estate guy. <laughs> right. no, we've been we've been working on it. So yeah, the the we've been working on it. We're in the process of hopefully some good stuff. I, I think that there's like, you know, you if there's risk involved with setting up something like that, like what do you want to do? Well, we want to lease or purchase a very expensive piece of ground, and we're going to put some foam targets around it and let people fling sticks at them. You know, like it's a, yeah, it's risky. And especially in the county that they're in, they're in one of the most expensive counties in the country to, you know, to buy stuff because people want to put other things there besides just, you know, 
Yeah. Sounds like a great buy and hold. (laughs) I'm with you. I'm with you. It just, I want it to produce cash flow, And that's the problem is I I don't think people want to sign up for $150 membership to go, you know, shoot foam targets. Maybe they would. No, we're, we're in the process. We're in the process. And honestly, I'm, I'm glad that like, I'm for me personally, and, and probably not for a lot of people, but for me personally, I'm glad that I didn't have as much access because it pushed me like if I was 10 minutes from a good shop and I could just take my stuff in there, that's probably what I would do. But the fact that I didn't have that, I got a press, I learned how to fletch my arrows, I learned how to reserve, I learned how to, you know, tie my own D loop, I learned how to change peeps, I learned how like all of that stuff. I, I was kind of I felt forced to learn because I didn't have access to it. So I'm so I'm a little I'm a little fortunate. And maybe that's a little selfish too, because other people that are around here, you know, like they don't want to spend that time. They probably have other hobbies or they have kids. I don't have kids yet. So that's why I've got enough time. So for your, um, like in Tennessee, like you said, you shot uh, 3d targets like twice last year or whatever. Was that like the total archery challenge? And where is that in Tennessee from you? It wasn't, uh, it wasn't attack. Um, it was further. That one was in East Tennessee and it was just, there's a, there's a club in East Tennessee outside of, uh, that one was outside of Knoxville. So, but the tack is about two hours from us. And hopefully I can go do it this year. Cause I did it, uh, three years ago before they, you know, they canceled all the stuff for COVID. Um, and it was so fun, like just, yeah, super fun. So I definitely want to go back and, uh, and shoot the Tennessee one. I'd like to go to Michigan and then Montana is the big priority. I did park city last year and Glenwood Springs in Colorado. And both were, both were super fun. I did park city by myself, but we, when we were in Glenwood, I brought my wife and my brother-in-law and his wife and we got like an Airbnb and, you know, the girls hung out and they walked one of the courses with us, but they kind of did their own thing most of the time. And then we lost a bunch of arrows. So yeah. Dude, it, tack events are so fun. It's oh. so much fun. So is that where you, you said you had some target panic type stuff because i had i had a similar experience (laughs) yeah so i've i've come to some realizations um like i'm thinking about what's important this year you know there's lots of like as i'm doing the bows as i'm going through each of the bows i'm I'm kind of reprioritizing what i think in my mind is really important to me out of a bow like the prime is kind of loud and you're like okay well how loud is it And it doesn't, when you're hunting, it's irrelevant because every compound bow is loud enough. It's going to scare the shit out of the deer that you're shooting at 30 yards and the deer is going to start to react. So, okay. Does it, does it then matter if it's three decibels louder? And so my shooting experience day after day is going to be impacted just a teeny smidge by it being just a scooch louder. No, that doesn't matter. So that's one of those factors that I'm kind of scratching off the list as far as priorities. What I am realizing is a big deal is I was shooting the, uh, the Ventum 33. And what I've noticed with the Hoyt for me is I get, I I have kind of a jittery shot as it is. Like, I don't know if, I don't know what it is about. Maybe I have just this, you know, wretched target panic coursing through my entire body all the time. But I feel like, I feel like it's turned up. The, the venom was doing these was giving me micro jitters the whole basically the whole time um 
And the month before, I, as I was as I was really shooting that thing, getting it dialed in, you know, shooting a 3D HV arrow, the uh, Victory 3D HV, really lightweight, fast arrow. Um, I just I just could tell. I start. I completely lost the process that I was going. You know, that I was going through, and it was the the pin. Let's do. There's the thing. It's going. Let's make this thing happen. And boom. You know that. And it here. In, in in Nashville, it was not as bad. But then when I was in front of a bunch of people at higher elevation, over coffeeed from the morning, it was the combination of all those things. And then um, the landslide Excel site that it's the Picatinny mount for the front of it. And I'm not, I don't want to say anything bad about Excel. Um, the two times that I took it off and put it back on and then was shooting it, it was not where I had left it. Now, I I did it two more times where I traveled two more times with it. And we're talking about getting on a plane with it. Those other two times, it was fine. And when I talked to the Hoyt rep at TAC, he was like, no, no, it must have been something you did because they tested this thing. And it was, you know, within a thousandth of an inch or something like that. There was very, very, very tight tolerances. So I'm willing to say that that was me. And there's a reason I haven't made, you know, a video about it or brought it up at all. Um, but the faith in the gear like I just didn't feel like I had as much faith in the gear as I would have had I brought my VXR with my black gold sight that I'd been shooting, you know, that was like my rock, like my go-to, the thing that I feel, the bow that I feel the most confident and comfortable with. Um, and I think it was just all those, all those things. And then just the pressure that I had put on myself, you know, guys walking up to me like, Hey man, <laughs> let's, I, I was watching you shoot up there on the, uh, on the, you know, on the line. I was like, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> uh, you know, and then, and then getting out on the range with um, the Epic archery folks, we just happened to like meet up there and great husband and wife team. They're doing some really awesome stuff for, for archery. And he was, he was rocking that day and we had a little competition going and, and uh, I watched some of the slow-mo video back of me at anchor one time on a 70 yard shot. And I'm literally just, just shaking. Um, and again, I don't know if it was because of elevation or caffeine or target panic or all the things, but I shot like dog shit um, at both attack events. But the cool thing is that's fine. That's fine with me because it gives me a new thing to focus on this year. It gives me a new thing to understand. Like I'm, hold bow hold is becoming like an absolute priority for me how does this bow this bow sit on target how forgiving is it if i miss a shot a little bit how far off is that arrow going the inline five so far if i miss a shot the arrow seems to go twice as far out of the zone that i wanted to hit than the bow tech now those are the only two bows that i have in they're both dialed up like they're both shooting bullet holes through paper and, but to me, the inline just doesn't seem as forgiving. So why the heck would I bring that bow? And, and it just goes to building this, you know, this like confident base inside of me knowing like, okay, cool. I don't think I'm going to bring the 3d HV arrows they're, they're perfectly good arrows. I just don't, I don't, I don't know. I want to shoot something that's probably going a little bit, a little bit slower. Cause I feel like I didn't get them to tune as well as I was hoping 330 feet per second is kind of, you know, like you're just kind of pushing, pushing the edge of the limit, I think. So was it the entire event? Cause like I know two years ago, like 
I can bring you right to the exact target, like where it all like went to shit. <laughs> and like for me, it was a, it was like a snowball, like racing down the mountain, like from that moment on. And there was a, the next shot, you know, because you shoot, you know, unless you're saying, okay, we're give you a mulligan or like whatever, you're shooting one shot at the target and then you hike a few hundred yards or whatever. Yep. And then now all your, like for me, all I'm thinking about was like, don't fuck up like I did on the last one. Yep. And now I'm totally. holding three inches low and I'm like, okay, well, if I just bring it up and then, pew, and you know, and then it's going uh, now, now we're shooting uphill. So I'm, I'm swinging up and it's going up. So that one is 12 counties over. And so now I'm two arrows down. And so now the third one is like, oh my God. And the snowball is this big and this big. And then you got everybody, Oh my God. It like, I mean, I can bring you to the exact spot. And and then, you know, I only had five or six arrows with me and maybe I broke one. So now two of them are missing. One of them's broke. So now I'm down to like two arrows. I'm trying to shoot other people's arrows. I'm like, do you think this one will fly good enough? You know, like. <laughs> Don't do that. No, it's not worth it. <laughs> Taking them off off the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I, I think, I think for me, um, when I, I when we were shooting at 70 yards at the house because we literally went to oh crap what's the shop that's in um um such i'm so bad i can't believe it. it's earl's shop and uh um oh guys i'm so sorry if anybody's listened to this i can't remember the name of the shop it's in it's in just just outside of uh, denver on the north hand side it's a there they make youtube videos out of there it's a, it's an awesome shop um we stopped there to get a target, brought it up to the mountains with us because, you know, had the bows, just wanted to buy a little cheap target. And I, when I put the site back on the Excel site and it wasn't hitting at 70, I was hitting about six inches low and six inches to the right. I was like, what is happening right here? And so then I kind of adjusted, but that, that like, is this wrong? Does this so is this setup not stable? What's what's going on? What's going on here? And then the next day I go to the line, I'm shooting a matrix target at 50 yards, and it's and it's doing kind of the same thing, this low right thing. And 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 so I'm adjusting, and now I'm thinking like, okay, I mean, is the altitude affecting my tape this much? But that doesn't make sense. So the arrow should be flying. In theory, I feel like the the arrow should be flying higher because the air is that I I don't I you know like is it like golf and all where the where the ball goes a lot further elevation that's what it's supposed to be doing, and then what I end up doing is I end up clawing my hand up on my release which is which is my like uh, instead of having a relaxed hand with the proper grip that's really pulling back and pulling around myself I claw my hand up and then I get I get it's not necessarily punchy but the but it's not relaxed and the push is really bad. And um, I had targets that I looked like a, a genius on, like a 12 ring one at 90 yards. I shot the Sasquatch in the face twice, you know? Um, and, and then I had some that were just chip shots that I airballed, you know? And, and I think that it was, I think the biggest thing for me was not having the faith in the gear, which I should have just said, no, no, no you did all the work on the front end. Like you're going to shoot this thing. If you're consistently hitting and missing one spot, like if you're consistently shooting a foot in front of the animal on the right hand side, then go ahead and adjust. 
but I was all over the place. So it was clearly me. Like it was clearly me. Um, I should have stopped and I should have said, what is your actual shot process? Because that was the other thing that I just literally was like, please, please go in the phone. Please go in the phone. That was all, I, you know, and yeah. And I just, and nobody cared. Like everybody we were shooting with, nobody cares. Like right, that's but, the other thing. And I don't get embarrassed. Like, I feel like I, I may have some sort of serial killer, you know, something about my brain. Like I can literally just be like, turn it off. I, I'm not embarrassed. I don't care. But I was a little embarrassed that, <laughs> you know, but nobody else cared. Everybody else. We just had a good time. You know, like I still keep in contact with half the people that we went, we went and shot with. It was about like making new, making new friends, making new contacts, trying to put a hunt together you know, like those types of things. So um, I, I think the refocus for me this year is enjoying the event, making sure that I'm dialed in, probably going with more something a little bit closer to a hunting setup, maybe, you know, a little bit of a punchier uh, setup, maybe a little bit, but more of a hunting setup. And then really just focusing on the Joel Turner stuff, you know, really focusing on on my process and really working on going through those different steps and, and, and being able to accept the results. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like my biggest thing, it's like when we go up there, I'm my biggest critic, you know? So it's like, I go up there with my expectations. Yeah. Like I'm not going to lose an arrow. I'm not going to break an arrow. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to bring a dozen yeah. and a half, but I'm not going to lose one. Yep. And when I yep. lose one and I'm like, damn it. But, I go up there. Yeah. I actually it was like watching your video when you were getting ready for your, when you were building your setup, I'm like, man, that's ballsy. Like with shooting that high speed, like <laughs> at those distance, it's like, that's not very forgiving. Cause I've done it, you know? And it's like, I'm going up there with, cause I still want to shoot. I want to be able to drop one out there 127 yards. So you got to really play with, you know, there's a fine line where, I mean, I, mean, I can do it a little better than most because I have a long draw link and I'm still shooting. You right. know, I think the one year I went up there with my Hoyt, my Arcs one, I had it, my 80 pound limbs on it. So, I mean, I could shoot 150 yards without even worrying about clearance. Yep. But the other thing is like the first morning when we get there and I go up to the, the line, I don't know any of those guys, but it's like, it's a whole nother ball game. You got to have the it confidence is. in your equipment. Like I know my equipment. I know I'm going to put it on the 50 yard and I'm going to, you know, 12 ring that deer. But then I think the one year I put my, I think it was with my Hoyt. I had, you know, we were, we were getting all of our gear set up to go out West. And so we we're shooting with our quivers on and our backpacks. And I put my tight spot quiver and I like slid it in farther than I normally did do. And I didn't realize it. Well, it was, it wouldn't let, it didn't let my rest come all the way up. So, oh man! So I'm like, <laughs> oh. I'm aiming at this target. I'm like, Choo! and there was still like the snowbank on the hill, and I'm like, that where'd that go? Like I didn't even see it. So I'm like, well, it's in there. I think you know, like, Choo! like where'd that go? And then finally, I'm like, someone watched where this arrow's going. It's like, Choo! and they're like, dude, you're like eight feet in front of that thing in the dirt. Oh. Like, I'm like, what? And then I'm like, uh, something's going on, you know, and I'm like, oh, geez, my, my rest isn't coming up all the way. <laughs> and so, yeah, so for, for the two of you guys, like, ahead, you, you're, you're confident, like in like yourself 
in your equipment. Like you're like, I know my equipment, all this stuff. Like I'm up there and I'm like, I'm confident in like, I like my bow was good. So it has to be me. Like I wouldn't adjust my sight ever. I'd be like, God damn it. Like you suck. <laughs> like I'm, just, I'm that stubborn that I'd be like, like, I know this bow was on. Like I know, you know, I, you, you know, when you're like, I, and it won't be, I'll put them all the foot right and be like, man, I just got a whole different or I just, I just did it right click, today. Click, click. Yeah, yeah. 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 We're, yep, we're, yep. we're indoors shooting seven yards and John's like, like moving it left and right, you know? And he's like, he's like, sometimes it just is like that mental thing. Like just to get out of your own head, you're like, Oh, I must be two clicks to the left or maybe something got bumped. Like, ah, I mean, same thing. Like when I was in the Marines and shooting, like on the range, like I zeroed this rifle. I know that it's on like, and I'm shooting for the wind and I'd put them out, out, out. And I'm like, man, I must be doing it wrong. You know? And then the coach will come over and he'll do like two clicks and then you're right in there. And it's like, you got to be kidding me. Like, yeah. you know, but like, I know that the equipment was right. Like, it's got to be me. Like, yeah. But see, I noticed like there are certain days where I feel like it's just the way I'm doing something that day where like, I'm maybe I'm a little tighter than normal or I'm a little looser than normal. And all, all I need is a couple clicks. Yep. And, and recognizing that and being willing to make that change. But I think that, I just took it way too far. I mean, I didn't like change tapes while I was on the mountain or anything, you know, get like super crazy with it. But yeah, I think I just totally lost faith in, in what I had. And I actually set up, I wanted to take the 80 pound PSE EVL. That was my goal, but I literally could not get the arrows to fly out of it. It was just too much. Like it was just breaking down the spine way too much. Right. And so I, I backed down to the 70 pound venom and, and even then I think it was, you know, it was, it was fine. The arrows were doing what they were supposed to do a little bit, but yeah, I, I'm going to go with a more conservative, a little bit more of a hunting style setup this year. And, but the mental game, you know, and we all know like archery is so much of so much a mental game. I'm glad I went last year because I'll know, like I cannot possibly shoot worse than I did last year. So I will shoot better this time. The funny thing was we, we went one day and walked the locals course and it was like the elk course. I don't know if it was the, the locals one. I think it was the Leo, the Leopold on in Glenwood. And it was me and this other dude from California. And we just went and shot it. And it was like, this is going to be real casual. And I was drilling the crap out of it because I didn't feel the pressure at all at that point. Like, you know, I was making murder on those elk targets, but then, you know, the morning and evening and evening shoots that we were doing on the other courses. And then when you add John Dudley on, on the, uh, you know, the long bomb shots, he, I, I have my camera and, and I walk up to him and he goes, where's your cigar? And I was like, Oh no, he knows who I am. <laughs> and then, and then he was like, give me that camera and I'm going to film you. And I was like, this is brutal. Lucky, luckily I actually hit, I hit the elk, but I, uh, you know, like it was a foot to the right of where it should have been for the dot. And that's, that's okay. I'm going to do, I, I'm going to do, I'm going to execute the process better next year. I don't know if the results will be any better, but I'm going to, I'm going to focus on the actual process better this, this next year, be more conscious of staying, you know, yeah. Staying in each of the zones thinking about my front hand, thinking about my stance, thinking about how I'm drawing, thinking about where I'm anchoring, thinking about making sure that my, you know, my release hand isn't clawing up like it had been. And then thinking about, 
moving from the aiming, you know, aiming room into the actual pulling room and then long. Yeah. Well, and that's like, John tells me this every Wednesday when we go and shoot, he's like, he's like, you know, that there's this podcast with Joel Turner, like where he goes through all that stuff. Like you should listen to it. And I'm like, I know John. And so he gave more information on (laughs) y'all's podcast than he does on the vast majority of the things that I've ever heard him on. Like I listened to that one because you know, like I, yeah, he's obviously created like his process has created one of the best freaking archery phenoms ever out of a child. Yeah. Do you see what he's doing now? I mean, he's, Dude, it's insane. No, it's insane. And that's what I'm saying is there's obviously the, you know, the secret sauce right. is definitely there and he's willing to share it with you. Yeah. Then he'll just, yeah. he'll post a video. He's like, yeah, I decided to build this bow because the kid's head was getting too big. So I went, built this bow and I went and shot a 300. Like, like I've never shot a 300. Come on. You know? <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it's, it's, it, yeah. Let's say I dusted Ridiculous. off my target and put it in the basement and I, put the knock to it away and I got the silver back and I'm like literally shooting at a block target and a brick wall. So it's like, there is no time for uh, like, it's, yep. it'll, it's going to explode. And that's the thing is like once, like, so now with the silver back, like I get to full draw and once I release the safety, you know, and I'm like, okay, find it, find it. And then just pull And what's crazy for me and what happens I think like when we sh- shoot at the club, cause we shoot one arrow, then we walk and then we go back and forth is that my first arrow is the one that sets the mood is no. Cause so I shoot uh, right now. I've got four arrows. I'm shooting at four, four spots on this block. And the first one is always the one where I'm like, there it is. <laughs> and then the second arrow and the third arrow, you know, fourth arrow is like, is like, I'm okay. Oh, you got plenty of time, but like, don't do what you just did. And, and like, <laughs> like, I don't know how to like make that first arrow, like the don't do that arrow. It's, you just got to go. I went through the same thing. So, I mean, years ago when I first got my, you know, first thumb release, I was like, oh, this is badass, you know? And then all of a sudden I'm missing the, the whole bale at 10 yards. I mean, like shooting it above wow. the wow. bale into the freaking foam above, like, cause I could not, you know, I was just, and like, I never had target panic, ever. I mean, I've shot my whole life, and I'm like, target panic? What the hell is that? You know, and then I read about it and everything, and then I was like, holy shit. I gave myself target panic. Like, what the f-? You know? I have that thing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. Now I got it. And so, yep. for me, you know, like, I would, I'd still have a few good shots, and then I would, like I said, I would freaking completely miss the whole, we're, sh- we're shooting at small game silhouettes like so a goose a duck a rabbit and we go from seven yards 10 yards 15 20 25 to 30 and in like i said we get one shot at each line for you know the animal and i'm like man i would like smoke the 30 yard and then go up and completely miss the duck at 10 what the hell you know and so that was when i'm like you know what I got to put that release away and I bought the silver back and it was a struggle at first. I put some in the wood, you know, I, in the ceiling. Away, I put one in the ceiling. Uh, <laughs> but once I got but Joel, yeah, once I got, want you that, guys, he didn't want you guys to keep using the silver back though. Does he? No, no, he doesn't. If, yeah. if we do, he wants you to be able to, to think about it and pull through 
and be able to stop it at any time. He wants you to be able to control right. that, whatever means of thumb, you know, index, hinge, whatever you're using, he wants you to be able to control that to the point where you can stop it at any time. And you're thinking about that. And that's, you know, that's what I've been doing lately with my hinge. But it took me, the silverback got me through the target panic thing. And I ended up. Yeah. Yes. It got me to the point where I was thinking about it. And, you know, yeah, there was times where I'd think about, man, why is it going off? Why is it going off? But just pull, you know, it's going to go. And I shot like that year. I shot one whole year. I think I ended up. I ended, I still ended up shooting the high score that year, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like I wouldn't have any fours, but I'd have a few more tens than I would like, but because our scoring rings 15, 10, four. Okay. And, but no fours. And, you know, I mean, then I was like, okay, I've got control of this. And then, but I mean, like if you, how, why would you give up the silver back? unless you really think like you're plateaued and I think I can get to that next level. Like, why would you ever give, it's obvious that you're extremely accurate with it. Like, why would you give that up? Even though Joel is saying like, no, I mean, uh, you know, a a tension release is not what we want people ultimately using. So like if I shot like that, I would never give it up. So I, there was points where like, I mean, we're only shooting, like I said, one arrow. So we shoot 20 arrows in an evening. And by the end of the night, I was definitely feeling that. I mean, because you're, you know, pulling at that 14 pounds or whatever every shot. And then, of course, Dudley come out with the too smooth. So I'm like, oh, I got to have that, you know. Mm-hmm. And I about broke my nose off my face with that thing, you know, the first, you know, few weeks I had it, you know, shooting my 80-pound Hoyt, grabbed it and, you know. And my nose is big enough as it is, but, (laughs) but once I got that down to where I was comfortable with it, I was way more consistent. Like then there was like, you know, it was 15s all the time, you know, and then a couple tens and then I dropped it. And that's what I was talking about, you know, where I brought it to him up when it tacked last year, I'm like, I dropped the release and I shot it at first with no click and I dropped it. And then all of a sudden I'm like, go to, sh-. I looked at it. Yeah, the click. Now all of a sudden I had to click. I'm like, what the, f- what happened? Now I'm like, now I just lost that confidence level. Then I'm like, then all of a sudden it wouldn't have a click. And, but it was like, I didn't engage the click or what. I, it was like, so I'm like, oh, back to square one. Like, oh shit. See, it, it's interesting because like Joel, Joel will walk up to you in the training and he'll like tap you with stuff. So it's, it's crazy. Cause I've got a hinge as well. That's got a click. And when I first started doing it, this same thing, that click would go and I'd be like, what the, yeah. <laughs> you know, like just, yeah. So how do you deal with, that's when we know that we're, we're, I think we're doing something wrong in that case. You know, like if, if this little tiny click is freaking my brain out, like what, right. Yeah what's what's going on that's man there's a reason that i don't put out a lot of videos on like telling people how to shoot right i like to talk about gear and i feel competent in basically analyzing gear but i don't feel terribly competent in like shot sequence sure but like the confidence that i that i would like to portray in like 
okay, I've got, here's how I overcame, you know, and maybe that'll be the, be the video of, of the, the, the tack redemption story of 2022 is like the first arrow out of the gate, the way I've started shooting that on the day is drawing, making sure that I'm in the process and trying to make that the slowest execution I can make. Like I want to feel, I want to feel every little quarter pound that I'm increasing that pull before boom, it goes off. And then I go, okay, cool. You did that. Now you can kind of speed back up into your process. And it, it, you're talking about kind of setting the tone for your day. That's, that's kind of what I do when I, when I walk out for a session, because when I was at elk shaped camp, um, last year, Dan had me go out with everybody and he was like, you killed an elk at 85 yards. Let's do an 85 yard cold shot right now. Do the cold shot. And I shot, you know, whatever a foot high because I was nervous as hell because I'm standing in front of all these people. And it was because in spite of the nerves, I should still be able to execute my process. I should still on arrow number one, be able to pull through and maybe I'm not hitting the heart at 85 yards but I should still be able to focus on my process, make sure my hand's not doing the the claw and that, you know, yeah, dude, it's going to be a lifelong journey for me. Like I'm a hundred percent positive that it's going to be a, like, it's going to be a lifelong journey, but that, that excites me. Like if I feel like I had somehow, somehow mastered this thing by, you know, like, no, that, that, that gets me, that makes me excited to know that I will constantly be thinking like until I'm breaking knocks every arrow at a hundred yards, then I'm not doing it right. I can keep, I can keep getting better. And yeah, that, that excites me because it makes me want to stay on the path and stay on the journey. Yeah. So then is that your, cause I was, I was going to ask you like your answer and I don't think the question is ever answered, right. Of like target panic, right? Because you can, like I said, you can be 12 targets in and then all of a sudden it goes off the rail. So like, how do you recover from that? Is that, do you go back to that slow execution? How do you get out of your own head? Well, I wasn't able to do it the last time. So <laughs> I don't, when I, when I got back, I'll tell you what I did. When I got back, I put the venom away and I got out the PSE EBL with a 550 grain arrow that I knew was dialed in. That was the hunting setup that I was going to use for, you know, for heavier stuff. And it holds a lot better for me. And so the confidence that I had of just being able to, to, to stand on my driveway where nobody's watching. Um, and then it was like the, yeah, it was like just the noise that I felt at tack where, where there was, there was all this, stuff going on that I wasn't able to get out at that moment just kind of went away when I got back here, but that doesn't count. Like that's the thing. And that's one of the reasons that I want to go to more 3d shoots this year. And honestly that I need to go shoot paper inside because I feel that same pressure when you put a blank three spot in front of me, that like oppression of you have a clean piece of paper in front of you right now and you can shoot a perfect 300 or on your very first arrow, you can just screw it up right now. (laughs) You know, some, some of the, like there were days when I'd go put paper in front of me and I would purposefully shoot like a nine, like just purposefully shoot it in the red just to say you did, you're not shooting perfect. So now you can relax, go ahead and, and, uh, and, and execute the rest of the day. So like, that's what I'm saying is for me, for me with the, with the target panic, 
I would not claim to have, um, I, I don't claim to have much input on it because I don't think that I did a good job t conquering it in the moment. I think what I'm going to try next time is talking out loud to myself through the shot, which sounds ridiculous. But like one of the one of the ways to stay out of your subconscious is to actually be using your you know your frontal cortex, which is which is speech. Okay, where's your hand on the bow? Here it is. Your feet are good. You you feel steady. Draw the bow. Where's your anchor? Make sure that you stay in your housing. You know, make sure your peep stays in your housing. How are you? You're in the aiming room. Okay. Now, let's go. And then quiet and pull through the shot. And if you miss, but you executed the process right, I don't I don't know. Maybe you don't. Maybe it maybe it's perfect every time. Dude, that's my every single time at at the Bowman's Club, right? So like I'm in there and like, I'll just get pissed and I'll just punch a trigger, poof, shoot a 15. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, that was an yep. awful shot. That was terrible. I'll shoot a four. I'll be four inches low. Everything's low. All my shots are low. And it's not because I was trapped low. It was because like, that's where it, uh, and I'll be like, I made a great shot right there. And I'm like, well, don't do that anymore. Just punch the trigger. Let's get some 15s. Let's beat these motherfuckers. And I'm like, this yep. isn't this yep. wrong. Like, this is awful. <laughs> but you know what? That's another interesting thing is like, so you watch Levi Morgan. And I think he goes through a lot of these same gyrations. Like, I, like he has changed his shot up over time. And I've watched videos of him where he's at draw and his thumb is slowly moving toward the trigger. It's off the trigger by like an inch and a half and then he'll slowly move it toward it and as soon as it touches the barrel bam that bow goes off it's not a trigger punch but what is that what is that thing and what is it in his mind arguably the greatest archer that has ever lived in modern in, in modern history is like no no it's not been good enough you're like are you kidding me right now like what what are you doing just keep doing what you've been doing but he tweaks and he changes and you know that, that's what i'm saying i think it's the i think it's the infinite journey and as far as the trigger punching thing goes may, are, are you really punching like if you, if you have your thumb on the trigger and you're just thinking like no i'm really steady i'm holding on target now i'm gonna go ahead and let my thumb muscles do the work right now and i'm gonna just hold steady through my back like is that the end of the is that the end of the world all of this happens in one and a half seconds <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so. Like, like the shot on the turkey or the shot on the um his buck this year, he was he was showing me the, the video. He's like, Yeah, I shot this buck. And uh we met back here after it happened. I was hunting in a different location and he starts the video and the video like starts and the deer the buck's walking in and it was like seven seconds. I'm like, dude, you you turned the video on, got your release, drew back, and shot in seven seconds. <laughs> That's a little you're bit like, quick. <laughs> you're like, you're an asshole, and I'm positive that you punched that trigger because so, that is crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, like, yeah. when you say, like, are you really punching it? I'm like, yeah, because I'm like, bent the thumb right Bow. off of it. <laughs> like, <laughs> damn it. That's the third thumb button I went through. But then when I take the time and I take the seven seconds on my shot, and the shot breaks the way that it's supposed to, you know, and it's like and you miss. four and these guys are like, oh, terrible shot. And I'm like, that one felt great. 
you know that but then was, is it yeah. me is it the equipment is it is my is my site even on should i just do the page pierce and just adjust my site so that it's like <laughs> well well that's the, that's like what i went through with my that silverback was like that whole process and i got to the point where i was i wasn't getting you know way outside i was consistently in you know the 10 ring and it was like it wasn't my standard but i could tell i wasn't i was getting a better shot a better shot i was had a better process and i wasn't thinking about all the other you know bullshit. but your results but your results were actually getting better and too and what and what adam is talking about is like no no my results get worse <laughs> right. and so so it's the anti reward for actual i'm being punished for executing correctly right right and i i think i think the thing with with target panic it, or with punching the trigger is that it leads to something that is far worse. Right. You know, like it's, uh, it, yeah, it leads to something where all of a sudden you're like locked off target or you've got, yeah, major shakes or just, just something is going on that's far worse. And that, it, and that is because you're actually punching. But, but like what, what you were saying about like Joel Turner, right. Is like, that's probably why he doesn't want you to use the, because you, in John's situation, he can be more accurate with a different type of release because he he he's now in control. He's one hundred percent in control, but he used that to build his process. So now he knows yeah, yeah. how to pull yeah. through, and so now he can he can kind of meld the two together and make that perfect shot instead of a really good shot. You know? Yeah. See, and, and I feel like if I if I was shooting the absolute best and most accurate that I'd ever shot and my results were the best with a rubber chicken as a release, I would never not shoot the rubber chicken. I'd be like, let's do this. You know, like, yeah, I would, I would just shoot a rubber chicken. Oh shit. I want to see that in the next video. So like, <laughs> at least it wouldn't hurt as bad when you get hit in the mouth with it. Right. Uh, exactly. Yeah. That's the problem is always the barrel. It's like sandpaper. <laughs> I I've think, done that more than once. I think when, when I, when I asked John about doing a podcast with you, like, cause I always like say, Hey, what about this? And he's like, Oh yeah. He punched himself in the face, threw his bow on the ground. Like that guy. <laughs> I love it. Like the bow goes <laughs> Dude, it, it hit the engaged limbs because I had the limbs on the Matthews and it hit them and bounced over into the grass. No problem with the bow. I picked it back up and shot the rest of the day. It was <laughs> perfect. No problems. I got super lucky. I got I got super lucky. If I hadn't had the limbs on, it hadn't been perfect like, right there. I would have blown something up for sure. <laughs> well, shoot. Our first, <sighs> so our first night of um, archery league, it was snowing like crazy and there's a handicap ramp going up into our club and there's a metal transition piece. Well, it used to have like the grip tape. Well, the grip yeah. tape is wore off and I was like Still running won't. late that night and I'm, I'd never carry my bow in a case. So I just grab a bow, you know, cause I don't like take my stabilizer off or anything. So I grab my bow and I'm running up there and I hit that metal ramp. It was covered in snow. Whew, I freaking fly up in the air and I land on my bow. Like, oh, I'm like, oh shit. And I mean, I still have a scar, like the, my knuckle is just finally healing up. That was what over four weeks ago, but I go in and, um, they were already setting up targets. I didn't even have time. So I had to go over to the practice side and I'm shooting and I'm like hitting six inches left. So I'm like, well, 
you know, I'm going to crank it. I'm like, all right, I'm hitting, I'm hitting the target. So, but, and then I like later, like the next week I looked at the bow and I'm like, oh shit, there's a mark in the limb right here. You know, like, you know, yeah, but it yeah. ended up, it was all right, but man, that was, but I mean, you shot, yeah, you're able to shoot. What bow did you, uh, what bow did you land on? The, the bow tech, the revolt X. Oh, okay. Okay. I got it. Got it. Yeah. My knee landed like, yeah on the freaking riser and the cam hit and then the well, and then most of it went on uh my site. <laughs> yeah, no big deal. But that was the HHA site. Yeah. And then I switched over and I put one of my Excel sites and I put a the UltraView scope on it. So the site's gone now. Yeah. That's on my other boat. Yeah. Yeah, I just got the Excel with the UV three rigged up on the inline and I really like that setup. Yeah. It's real slick. So uh, one of the, I'm looking at my notes here, like from one of our, our patrons, he wants to know like what, and, and YouTube fuck guys with, <laughs> with your, like for, for like veins, like they want to know like three fletch, four fletch and like vein size height for like sound and all that sort of rigmarole. Yeah. So, so I've done, I, I did a lot of testing like two years ago with, with all that stuff and the AAE Max Stealth with a four fletch configuration is still the best one that I've found. Like I, I tested, I don't know, a dozen different ones with a, with a broadhead. So like a fixed blade broadhead, I just found that they grouped better. Uh, when, when you got out to distance, when you're doing like 20 yards to 40 yards, a lot of the stuff it, it's not, to me, it's not going to matter a lot. Like it, it's just not, it's, when I when I get to sixty and beyond is when I really start noticing the subtle differences. So that that's another thing. Like this year, what I would love to do is not refletch any arrows. I would like to just go buy two dozen arrows. And I think like the last set of Eastons that I bought, the Axis, they have blazers on them, and they're not loud like the blazers before. So I don't know if blazer changed something or maybe I'm just not like listening. I need to, I need to probably put a camera up and check it out because blazers for the longest time are really loud. Um, but to, to make a long story short, what I have found with a fixed blade broadhead 60 yards and beyond the AAE max stealth in a four fletch configuration um, is, is my favorite. That's exactly what I shoot. I mean, so have you done six Fletch? <laughs> have you done? <laughs> you know what? I, I had a dude send me some information on six Fletch. I have not done six, but um, I'm trying, I'm still trying to balance. Like I still like the idea of keeping a decent FOC. I'm not like, you know, I don't want 25 FOC, although I've built some just insane, ridiculous arrows that had 25% FOC. Um AAE Max Hunters are the loudest veins that I've ever shot. Um, that, I, I don't think I've shot all of them. Tack veins, the uh, the two and a half inch drivers are awesome, but they're not durable. So like they, you know, like crinkle up on you. I had one right behind me because it's cold here right now. And I stacked arrows because I got, you know, whatever I got lucky and stacked one and one, you know, ripped in half. So I wouldn't shoot tack. I wouldn't shoot tacks for, uh, for a hunting setup. Well, I say that, I guess you're not really stacking arrows. No, I wouldn't because you're putting your bow in sort of horrible places, you know, so like the durability, that's the other thing about the AAEs that I like is they they recover. So even if you've squished the thing because you put your backpack 
you know, in the back of a truck and somebody else was being a little negligent, just puts their stuff a little bit on yours and you happen to, you know, to squish them down. I feel like they recover a little bit better, hit them with a lighter real quick and, you know, you're off and running. I, uh, I've been running some wraps. I've actually got some mere mortal wraps made up and I'm kind of still testing them to make sure that they're durable enough. I don't want to, I don't want to sell stuff that's, you know, like I want to make sure if I'm going to sell something on the, on the website that it's like durable and going to be something that holds up. And so far they're doing good, but I'm going to shoot them a little bit longer. Yeah. So let's talk I about just like wraps. Cause it's easier to change, like just zip it off with a knife, you know, like I, I'm not having to, to, you know, sand off a bunch of glue or anything like that off there. So I like running some wraps. So your mirror mortal product project, like, so how did that all come about? And like, you, you talked about giving some bows away and you've got some, you know, yeah. thanks. We don't have to go into mirror mortal yet if you don't want to, or we don't have to at all. I, I, I'm not trying to like interject it in to the conversation. I apologize. No, 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 no. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's one of the things I think that is, is really good to talk about because like from a, a bystander, like casual viewer type thing, like, Oh, who's this? Brandon McDonald guy, like, oh, he's just a YouTuber, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, that's one of the things that, like, I'm trying to figure out, like, right now, like, with what we're doing is, like, how do you, what's the next step to, like, give back to, like, you know, conservation or, like, whatever. Like, we, sure. we, we talk about all of these things and, you know, it's, it's great to, to, you know, have, to, to be successful in what you do, but, like, the bigger thing is like, what do you do next? Like, what do you do? Is it, right. is it strictly for yourself? And like, Oh yes. Now you're famous. Great. Awesome. Like, or are you, <laughs> are you doing it for, Again. you know, other things? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 So I, I mean, I think a lot about legacy, um, you know, and like watching, watching my grandpa die when, um, like watching my two grandpas pass away with, you know, within the last 10 years, and the difference in impact that each of them had on their family and their community. One had very little impact on their community. One had a great impact on their community. And then watching Jocelyn's grandpa pass away, um, having just unbelievable ripples that we didn't know about, like he changed people's family trees forever because of the stuff that he did in in the community that they were in and deciding what kind of man I want to be and what I want to leave behind. Um, I didn't serve in the military and I don't want to say that it's a regret, but if I were to regret something, that would probably that would probably be on the list. So um, I realized like I, I didn't want to just take the bows that I was that I was using and then sell them, you know, that would be fine. Uh, but I felt like th there could be something that went, that was, that was better. And so mere mortal archery, uh, basically I created it so that we could take gear that I was testing and I've had, I've had people give me bows and that's been ridiculous. Like I've had guys send me, you know, like $2,000 setups with, scopes and and everything all set up on these bows that are like this year's bow they do what i do they just you know they don't have a youtube channel they shoot through them and they say i don't want this one and rather than selling it here here you go give it away and i kind of uh i kind of got involved with um oew enduring warrior and 
Caleb, that was the kind of head of the archery department over there. He's down in, uh, in Arizona. I was shipping him the bows and then he was, he was giving them to guys that were kind of in their program. And what I've found is it's more complicated than I was hoping it was going to be all the profits. Like I've got shirts and hats and I'm about to add, I think I'm going to add the, um, the wrap soon. And then I've got some hoodies that are going to come out soon. I'm, I'm wearing one of the hoodies, just again, making sure that it's like holding up in the laundry. I just don't, my, my worst nightmare is selling something that just turns to crap. I, I absolutely don't want to do that. A hundred percent of those profits that are coming in from that are going to basically feed this mere mortal thing. And I've got some events planned in my head. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to say it out loud yet because I feel like if I say it out loud, then I'll be obligated to actually complete it this year. And that, that maybe put too much pressure on there, but the legacy that I want to leave behind is helping to impact people's family trees. And, you know, that's one of the reasons that I wanted to start talking about money a little bit more talking about business a little bit more. Cause I feel like the hunting stuff is, you know, like there's definitely legacy to that. Like, you know, listening to you, listening to you guys talk about the family tree of bows in your family and, and archers in your families. Like that's freaking that's so cool. And I don't have that. But what I had was a grandpa on one side who taught my dad about business and my dad who taught me about business. And so that was something that I felt like, you know, I felt like was, was important. So I wanted to, you know, that's, that's part of the legacy that I want to try to kind of create. And, you know, when I, when I was with Troy down in, uh, in Texas, that was one of the things that he talked about is basically like, what are the stories that you want people to tell about you when you're, you know, when you're not here and live life every day, like they're going to tell that story. And so that's what I'm, you know, kind of, kind of starting to attempt to do a little bit more. Awesome. And uh, one of the things that you, you know, I, I was going to interrupt you there, but, uh, you know, one of the things that makes it more difficult is some of these guys are left-handed, right? (laughs) (laughs) That was embarrassing. Yeah. I felt so bad. That that was one of the first ones that we gave away where, where they felt comfortable doing it like on Instagram, you know, and Instagram live, like, here you go. And the guy was like, dude, awesome. There's a problem. You know, he didn't <laughs> say it in the video. He was very gracious, but, um, I actually got to shoot with him at tack. We went out and, uh, and, and shot. And it was, it was so awesome, man. Just like hearing his story and, and the journey that he's on and, and, realizing like he's going to have, you know, he got a building dropped on him. He was a firefighter and he's going to have potentially have brain stuff for the rest of his life, you know? And, uh, I don't know. It, it's been tougher than I thought it was going to be. Honestly, I, I've, I found that like the type of people that I would like to reach and give the hope of archery to, because I, I think that there's this interesting thing that happens when you get into archery there is a discipline that comes with it. And then there's this anticipation of the next time I go out here, I'm going to do this better. And I'm going to be a better archer the next time I I go out because I've been practicing. And uh, the goal of like, I'm practicing for a hunt. So the anticipation of the future, and again, just the future, the future, the future, the future, it would keep a lot of people from committing suicide. It would keep a lot of guys maybe out of the bottle because they would realize like, okay, this is, this is detrimental to that future. But what I'm finding is that 
that it's more difficult to find those people that are even willing to take a step. Like it's, you're getting guys that are saving themselves that have, that have made the decision of, I'm not going to be this person anymore. And I'm going to, to, to work through all of the stuff that I know and the shit that is not my fault, but is now my, my responsibility. Unfortunately, I'm going to work through this. And then you get the people that won't fill out an application for free stuff. And it's bizarre. It's, it's, it's bizarre to me, but I don't know. I don't know how to reach those people because the people that really need to be reached are the people that I just want to go grab them and lock them in a room for a year and say, all right, let's figure you out. Let's figure all this stuff out again. It's not your fault, but now it's your responsibility. And we're going to go on a hunt the day you get out of this place. Here you go. Let's figure this out. And every day work through stuff, but you know, obviously can't do that. Yeah. I think I'd imagine like, you know, the guys that I know and the people that are like uh, the, the most in need or, or whatever are also like the most prideful people. And it, it's, I mean, you're going to, there's going to be a huge barrier, you know, like there's going to be sure. a, a, a big line right there that's going to have to be like tiptoed or coerced or, 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 yeah, whatever, or, you know? or they just have to decide, like, it just has to be their decision at the end of the day. Like I, I can't, you know, I can, we can, we can put the gear in your hands, but like, if I don't know, I, I struggle with this one. Like, because I don't want to, um, I want to help. Like, I want to actually be a help in the space. And I don't want it to be something where, you know, some sort of like hero complex mm. that comes in of like, no, you have to let me help you so that I feel good. It's mm. not, it's not that. Yeah. Like, I just, I just truly want to make sure that I'm like doing something that's actually, that's actually valuable and I, I felt like the I felt like the need was going to be um, I felt like it was going to be overwhelming. Like I was going to be like, awesome, I'm going to start fundraising. We're going to get a shitload of gear. We're going to get a bunch of money for guys to you know. We're going to try to figure out how to get guys on hunts, um, you know, like all that kind of stuff. And and the other thing is like I've had other organizations kind of reach out that I need to make contact with, and I need to make more time more time with this but even like getting product out it's difficult for me to say okay tonight i'm not going to make a video i'm going to go mail this stuff out and it's it's difficult for me to do that because it feels like such a huge waste of time for me to do it but if i have to pay somebody with where everything is now the profits almost go away mm -hmm. you know like I've, I've talked to a couple of companies and and the order fulfillment stuff which it's a, it's a whole new business that i've never you know I'm just figuring it out. I, I think I'm, I think I'm kind of just talking out loud, but, uh, but the bottom line is I'm still figuring all this stuff out and I'm going to keep moving forward. But just like archery, you know, year one, you don't know what you don't know. And that's where I'm at with, with this, but I'm going to keep moving forward. And there's definitely some guys that, you know, that, uh, you know, that I feel like their lives have been blessed by, by this. And hopefully we can keep doing more. Well, and ultimately, like whether it's you know just spitballing or or talking out loud or working through it, I mean, 
for anybody that's listening, it shows like where you're coming at this from. So it isn't like, you know, like I said, like when you started this, like, oh yeah, you just want to be famous between the ages of 35 and 40 uh, on YouTube, white males. Um, That's what I'm saying. And then when you're you're famous, like, what are you doing with it? And it's like, you know, trying to, to legitimately like make an impact. But I can see what you're saying where it's not like you're trying to be like, no, you don't understand. Like for me to feel good about myself, I have to help yeah. you. And that's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. People well, I mean, think that saw, like, there's asshole. a lot of missionaries. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of like missionaries that, um, that inadvertently, I think like there, there's a story about missionaries were buying, like churches were buying cows for people. And I can't remember what country, I feel like it was in India. Was it India? Were they sacred? Remember. Maybe it wasn't. And they wouldn't eat. Well, <laughs> yes, but they were they were milking they were milking cows, and and so th- th- this group of missionaries shows up to this like condo complex, and somebody on the second floor has a cow on their balcony of the condo complex, and they're like, the church they gave us this cow, and <laughs> we're in a city, but they gave us the cow, and so you know. Like, so I don't want to give people cows that, <laughs> right. that live in cities. That's right. what I want to make sure is happening, that it's actually real help. And, and I get it. Like that was a mistake and maybe it didn't even, maybe it didn't even happen, but if it did happen, that's freaking hilarious. But I want to make sure that I'm not doing that. Yeah. And I, I don't give a shit about being famous in the archery community. Like I, I, I find, I, I say that. I do want to get invited on cool hunts because people are like, well, I mean, Brandon's got a big YouTube following, so he'll, he'll film this and that'll be good for this and whatever. Like that, that is on the table a hundred percent, but I don't, I, I don't care if people walk up to me at TAC and say, I know who, I know who you are. I'm, I'm very appreciative of that, but that's not a thing that I'm like, I have to have that. But honestly, I think that that's like, um, like somewhat untrue, right? about like the the famous part because realistically like the all of the archery stuff aside if that's uh, a stepping stone to that people are like that's Brandon McDonald he's the guy that gives all the stuff back to the veterans and he helped my uncle or he helped I mean that would be the ultimate right I mean that would be that that would that that would be like the legacy piece you know what I mean And, and that would be making an impact and so if that's what it all ends up being for, then I guess that, I guess great, that's true. Right? And I probably should stop saying that, like, because I guess there is a certain amount of notoriety that that like you can legitimately like if John Dudley decided that he was he wanted to do something that was huge. And I know he does stuff with Black Rifle, but like if he wanted to drive a force in the archery community, nobody could drive it like John. And it's because he had a YouTube channel that everybody watched and he gave back and gave back and gave back and all the free content that that dude put out for years that made so many of us like so much, so much better, so much faster. Again, picking us up off of the trail of the journey and bringing us forward. Like, yeah, there's no doubt that, 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 um, that, that fame opens opens doors that are good doors to have open so i guess i guess you're right there is there is a certain amount of notoriety that i uh that i that would be valuable yeah yeah i mean because it's just this is just a means and you know the the end isn't youtube star brandon mcdonald like the right. the the end 
is philanthropist <laughs> Brandon McDonald, right? Uh, you know, right. when they yeah yeah when they name your local VFW after you because of ever all the good that you did, <laughs> when they put right. your yeah. Adonis statue with your <laughs> PSE. <laughs> Right out in front of it. They're gonna have to make it move. They're gonna have to make it a little shaky. That's that's <laughs> right, what I wanted right. there with the first moving statue in front of the VFW. Yeah. So I mean, we've been on here forever. I feel like we could just continue talking, but I know you have uh, alternative plans for the evening. So we're gonna <laughs> kind of wrap. Yeah, this man, one up. we didn't even get into bows, but but you'll have to have me back sometime. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Famous. Well, I mean, when you come to Michigan, you can just you know. Stay with us. We'll do some uh, podcasts and 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 all of the things. Um, Dude, that'd be great. But where can people follow along with like the mere mortal stuff? And then you know Brandon McDonald. And if they have questions about anything, you know, real estate, if they are trying to help out with the foundation, like what you're doing, or or any of yeah, the things. Sure, sure, sure. So meremortalarchery.com, and it's a mere is m e r e meremortalarchery.com. Um, and then probably the easiest way to get a hold of me is through Instagram. Like I actually look at the, I look at the DMS on Instagram and my Instagram is Brandon McDonald underscore archery. Uh, and then on YouTube, just like go into YouTube and search Brandon McDonald and I'm the, uh, not six foot six black NFL player. <laughs> I'm the, uh, I'm the other one. So yeah, I, I'll, I'll come up in YouTube. YouTube is kind of my primary like focus. I like making videos, so I want to put stuff on YouTube, but I do, I do post relatively frequently on Instagram. And then I like getting comments and messages through the, you know, direct messages on Instagram. And they did something weird to me. Like all of a sudden I got hit with like 250 messages, but it was over the last like two years. So if you messaged me, you know, back then, I apologize, I didn't even see it. Like I was getting messages from a couple of companies when I was crapping on their on their bows online, and I was like, "Oh no, I did, they did, they were trying to fix it, and I didn't even respond." So, yeah, like, what an asshole! I know, no, I feel really bad for that. That's not that's not the goal. If you if you email me at uh, at the on the Mere Mortal site, it's going to be difficult for me to find it because there's so much like the orders that come in. It, it just fills up the whole inbox. So it's it, it, Instagram is definitely the best way to try to get a hold of me. Awesome. Well, we definitely have to do this again. Yeah. Just, you know, like I said, I we well, we, we could talk forever. I mean, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I really enjoyed fun. it. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a really nice like flow of conversation. I think what we should do is we should just once all the bows come in for this year, then we'll shoot through them all, and then that would just be totally quiet, and then we'll just nerd out about right. about bows. That's perfect. That yeah, sounds, sounds perfect. good to me. Perfect sounds good to me. Awesome. 